0: Pick Me Up, I'm Scared, the podcast.
1: I'm your host, Madeline.
0: And I'm your host, co-host, David.
1: (laughs) You can be the host, Uh,
0: too. I'm your (laughs) co-host. A little presumptuous over here. Yeah,
1: you know... I think, though, in the future, you will be doing more of the research, too, Mm -hmm. and you'll be doing your own episodes. Yeah. So then you will be the host, and then I'll be the co-host. I'm like an apprentice. You're an apprentice host. Yeah. I like it. Um, Okay, well, welcome to the episode. Today, we're going to start off with a little bit of housekeeping, and what we have going on is um, just a reminder about the book pre-order. As always, I'm sorry, every single episode, I start with it. But my book is still available for pre-order until January 14th and there is currently a promo where if you upload your proof of purchase to this link, then uh, you can get a personalized, not personalized, you can get just like a video from me. It's like this like video thank you promo that my book publisher put together and I will include a link to that location if you are interested in doing that. Um, we thought it might be like good for people who purchased the book as a gift for other people for holiday. So you have something to give them. It's like, hey, I pre-ordered this book for you. So that is the thing going on with the book. The book is called I Survived Capitalism and all I got was this lousy t-shirt. And, uh, the only other thing we've got going on for housekeeping is the Patreon, uh, over on the Patreon, David and I have been trying a new thing where we upload supplementary, uh, episodes that have to do with whatever content we're recording this week. So, this week, we are talking about something culty.
0: The the cult of the Great Eleven.
1: The cult of the Great Eleven. And what we've got going over on our Patreon to go along with this episode is a supplementary episode about what was going on culturally in the world in the time period leading up to the emergence of the cult of the Great Eleven. talk about all sorts of stuff over there. We're talking about Einstein. We're talking about Adorno. We're talking about... How maybe space is just a bunch of ice Mm -hmm. and there's no such things as stars you're just looking at shiny ice
0: a very appealing theory
1: a very appealing theory if you're hitler that was hitler's view of space we talked about that Mm -hmm. over on that bonus episode to get you all primed and ready to understand what was going on in the world when this cult of the great 11 emerged so If you are a Patreon subscriber, we recommend listening to that bonus episode first. And if you are not a Patreon subscriber, you can subscribe at patreon.com slash pickmeupimscared for just $3 a month. We guarantee you at least two bonus episodes. We are aiming for a weekly one, though. Mm -hmm. We're working towards it. We'll see how it goes.
0: I think it's going well.
1: Yeah. And if you don't want to give us 3 bucks a month, you can still listen to this episode. Uh, It'll just start a little later in time, and you'll still hopefully enjoy it. Hopefully. Hopefully. Okay. So... David, today we are talking about two girls who bossed too close to the sun. Mm-hmm. Yes. This story has everything horrific. It has bribery. It has animal sacrifices. It has seduction. It has a pretty 24 year old girl charming men for money to fund her mom's cult. It has the beautiful town of Bakersfield, California. Mm-hmm. And of course, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ.
0: Always good to have him in the mix. You
1: want him in there. You know, yeah. I've said before, he's a cool commie bro, he's got some good mm-hmm. ideas. You know, I'm not mm-hmm. mad at him.
0: He seems fine.
1: Are you mad at Jesus?
0: I, I, you know, I'm indifferent to Jesus.
1: Uh, I was, would say I would tell your parents, but I don't think that they would much care if you were indifferent to Jesus.
0: I, you know, I, I think it would make dinner a little bit awkward, but just for, <laughs> yeah.
1: Okay. Well, this story is interesting to me, not because of Jesus Christ. I am an atheist. Um, but I do think Jesus is interesting, actually, even as an atheist. He's cool. There's something in there. Okay, anyway. uh, This story that we're talking about today is interesting to me because there is an argument in here that could be made from so many different lenses. You can view this story through a feminist lens. You can view it through even a Marxist lens. And in lots of ways, it is about the lengths to which people will go just to survive capitalism. There's also something interesting in here, too, uh, that has to do with, like, what happens when you juxtapose pop psychology, carceral ideas of people existing in the world as good or evil Mm-hmm. And this very pure form with the notion that people are maybe overwhelmingly products of their environments
0: i feel like uh, you know when i was reading over your notes for it i was like this is uh the degree to which not having like a sort of like you know materialist analysis of the world you just end up with like the most deranged sort of like beliefs and actions
1: yes uh, yes and we are gonna try to view this lens through the lens of that material analysis mm-hmm. at the end of this that's yeah. my goal ultimately because we're not a true crime podcast we're not mm-hmm. here to just shock and horrify with bizarre tales mm-hmm. we want to shock and horrify you with the uh, truth about how powers systems play out all around us and mm-hmm. how that affects very real people going through their days so There's a lot to discuss in this episode, Uh, especially I think about how patriarchy sets women up to be reliant upon men for money and uh, how far is too far, ethically speaking, when when a woman tries to break that cycle.
0: I think this might be too far.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think it might be too far. Spoiler (laughs) alert, David and I both think this one went a little far. Yeah, we think they did go too far. But it's Mm -hmm. interesting. You know how you once said sometimes you can be wrong in an interesting way?
0: this is the most interesting a person has ever been wrong
1: this could be true yeah, yeah 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 okay so today's episode topic like we mentioned is the cult of the great 11 uh and to understand the cult of the great 11 we're going to start in 1881 with a woman named May Otis Blackburn so you know everybody just let's strap in let's get ready let's let's dive into it all right may otis blackburn she's born august 2nd does that make her a Leo? Yeah, she's a Leo.
0: Oh, You're doing some astrology. I'm doing, doing some astrology. Yeah. I'm
1: doing mm-hmm. some astrology. So you're getting I, into the vibe. I'm getting into the vibe. I don't know much about astrology, but I know when the Leos are because I know my boyfriend's a Leo, and he's mm-hmm. July 27th, mm-hmm. and I'm a Leo, and I'm August 17th.
0: This is all widespread a, of people here. Yes, yes, yeah. yes.
1: Yes, so August 2nd, that's in between us. Uh-huh. So I know. Actually, my boyfriend's birthday might be might be July 25th. I get the two dates confused a lot.
0: Do you know anything about Leos?
1: Uh, I know that we are the life of the party. We are very into ourselves.
0: Much like, what is it, Mae Blackburn?
1: Much like May Otis Blackburn. Yeah. Wow, yes. She's such, she's a Leo girl watching to close yeah. to the sun. That's what the story is. So she's born August 2nd, 1881 in Storm Lake, Iowa, to Matilda J. Jenny and William Roswell Otis. And May claimed from childhood that she heard voices in her head. And she would describe having these really vivid hallucinations. And one in particular was that there was a dove that followed her everywhere she went. Mm -hmm. But this was, like, from a very, very young age. Her father, William Otis, died when she was four years old. And her mom, Jenny, was what she went by. Matilda J. Jenny, she went by Jenny. She pretty quickly remarried a new man uh, named Edgar Palmholt and moved from Iowa to Huron, South Dakota to be with him along with her daughter obviously so in 1885 Jenny actually filed a lawsuit against a railway company for what we assume is her first husband's death she lost but this tells us that her first husband's death was probably something accidental that involved Mm -hmm. the trains Uh, the family with the new husband Edgar Palm Holt moved west and they landed in Minnesota for a while where Edgar took up farming so, by the time the daughter, May, was 16 years old, 1887, she was already getting married. She was married to a Canadian man named Augustus John Wyland in Jamestown, North Dakota. And together, after getting married, they moved to South Dakota. But May claimed that Wyland was a gambling addict who was really physically abusive and really controlling to her. She's only 16 years old. Uh, later on in life, he and some of his friends would actually claim May was just a troublemaker and that he, Wyland was a saint, a good Christian man, okay? Mm-hmm. So, you know, hard to know what to believe, but I'm under the impression that he probably was both. He was probably a saint to his friends and a man with a good work ethic and a Christian man and also probably controlling and abusive in his home. That's usually how abuse works. Yeah. Right? Usually you get the guy and everybody's like, no, that guy's an abuser, but he's so cool to me. And it's like, well, you're not his wife at home, so. Mm-hmm how do you know yeah yeah so this is kind of the situation going on with may just 16 years old married to this guy and she is it's not going well it's bad for her and just one year into the marriage she gets pregnant and he leaves mm-hmm. he's like i'm not doing this so just a few days shy of her 18th birthday may gives birth to a baby her daughter ruth angela wyland born uh july 25th 1899 and after ruth's birth May, uh, received a letter stating that her husband John was shot and killed over a mining claim dispute in California, so she's like, I guess that's where he went, so she takes the baby, and she goes to Minneapolis to visit her mom and her stepfather, and she's like, look, I've got this baby, this guy just left, like, will you please take care of my baby, like, I can't take care of her, I don't know how to do this on my own, and I'm really afraid, so her mom and stepdad are like, yes, of course, we'll take care of the baby, and they take Ruth in, uh, and You know the way that they raise ruth is they just raise her like they're her parents they're like we're your parents and you have a sister basically may that's your older sister and i feel like this is pretty traditional when like young women would get pregnant this was like a thing that would happen in the past right
0: yeah this actually a great aunt of mine believed for many years that uh or i'm sorry her nephew was actually in fact her son and it was a very large family scandal
1: wow yeah. yeah okay so i think this was a thing that commonly happened so uh yeah in july 1901 Meg was granted a divorce from mm-hmm. wyland who was ostensibly shot and killed in california and that same year she married a new man named rudolph a schultz and the wedding was actually attended by a local clairvoyant named lucy Lamb. And this is either just like a coincidence and a premonition of what was to come in May's life, or it is evidence that from a young age, May was very interested in occultism. Mm -hmm. We know that she claimed to have visions since she was a little kid. So to me, it makes more sense that probably she's interested in occultism, clairvoyance, and she has probably befriended Lucy Lamb would be my guess uh now rudolph schultz the new husband he knew that she was a widow he knew that she had been married before and her husband died but he didn't know she had a child remember because the kid Mm -hmm. is living with her parents so may tells her new husband the the party line right ruth is my sister this is my sister so when may's parents decide to move from minneapolis to washington for work may begs her husband for them to go as well she's like can we please go too can we please move to the Mm -hmm. pacific northwest also i want to be near my family not Mm -hmm. telling him i want to be near my daughter as she gets older So they end up moving uh, near Portland, Oregon in 1905 so that she can be close to Ruth, unbeknownst to her husband. And at this time, Ruth actually gets reintroduced to her mom for like the first time since babyhood because they've been kind of living in different places. And she is introduced at age five to this woman as her sister. Mm -hmm. So Ruth is even told, "This this is your sister. But May starts visiting really, really frequently now that they live close enough and she's really active in Ruth's life. So, meanwhile, uh, Rudolph finds work at this Oregon hotel, and May takes most of his earnings. She's taking the money. Rudolph Schultz, that's his mm-hmm. name. He's earning $150 per month in total, and she's keeping $125 of this. And she's doing well. Yeah, she's doing well. It's a girl mm-hmm. boss icon. Uh, yeah. Some people are like, this is evidence from an early age that May has these really controlling tendencies, but some mm-hmm. other people are like... Well, her first husband was a gambling addict who, like, gambled mm-hmm. away all the money and left her feeling really unstable, abandoned her with a child. Like, maybe she just wanted to be in control of the finances because she didn't trust that this man would spend this money well, right? Yeah. So whatever the case, this is what's going on. He gets to be in control of $25 of the earnings himself, and she keeps 125 125 uh, now, in 1906, something happens, and she ends up leaving her second husband, Rudolph. <laughs> she gets this letter saying that her husband actually never died in California, that he is still alive. And she's like, well, this means that you and I, Rudolph Schultz, are living in sin because I'm technically still married, and this is not okay in the Bible. So Rudolph begs her to stay. He's like, well, no, I'm like in love with you. Like, you can't go. And she's like, no, i got to get this figured out. So... Some accounts say that she then goes to Tacoma and reportedly finds her husband there living under a different name, and she gets so mad at him. She's like, you faked, you le- left me. You mm-hmm. faked your death, and now you're here. Like, fuck you. You yeah. suck. I hate you. And she goes back to Portland. Uh, shortly after that, though, she hires a lawyer and posts an ad in the paper looking for him to be like, you know what? We have actually unfinished business. I need mm-hmm. to talk to you again. And someone sees this ad and comes forward and is like, hey, you know... Some time has passed since she saw him in Tacoma. He's like, I actually hate to be the one to tell you this, but just recently, like recently, I helped bury that man in Alaska. So he wasn't dead in California, but he's definitely dead now because I was there. I know this guy.
0: This woman's on a roller coaster. She
1: really is. And she's like, okay, so what? He faked his death in California, stayed alive, worked for a bunch of years, and then now he's dead in Alaska? What? So this is super confusing, but... The guy is like, hey, just so you know, though, he was a good Christian man, and he felt so bad about leaving you, and he worked really, really hard, and it turns out he made a lot of money, and he had $100,000 saved for you. Mm -hmm. So, it's in his will for you, and the only stipulation is that it's yours as long as you never remarried anybody else.
0: So, So Mr. Schultz, he's gone.
1: He's gone, Uh, Mm -hmm. but she's also like, I don't want that money. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm a simple woman. He left me. I can't. And I'm separated mm-hmm. from Schultz anyway because we were living in sin and I got all confused. Um, so sh- she is looking like, I don't want the money. I don't want anything to do with you. I was mm-hmm. living with this guy in sin. I'm so confused. And later evidence showed that at this time, it's possible that her husband still was not actually dead.
0: So he's faking his death again?
1: Like again. Like it was just this really confusing the- situation. So she's like, I want nothing to do with this. I don't know what's going on here and she instead starts dating a portland lumber tycoon named Fremont Mont Everett who has a net worth of actually $250,000 at the time which would be the equivalent of 9 million bucks today mm-hmm. so he's doing pretty well and this guy though is married
0: oh so she she's cool with living in sin now
1: now so this is where people looking at her life and knowing what comes later are like uh this seems a little manipulative i think she was telling people that she couldn't be with Schultz because they were living in Sen, because she already had her eyes on this mm-hmm. married lumber tycoon and she turned down $100,000 mm-hmm. because she's like, well, that doesn't matter. This guy's got $250,000. Yeah. What do I want the $100,000 for? I can bleed this guy dry. And also he's married. So people who are more maybe conspiratorial, maybe more viewing her maliciously, like she mm-hmm. has malicious intent, are like, she's plotting. She's like, this is great. I can get together with this guy Mm-hmm. bribe him, extort him, get a bunch of money out of him for potentially a really long time. This is way better than marrying these dudes. I
0: I mean, this seems like a well-reasoned course of action
1: given what she's been through, right? Mm-hmm. So, she pursues this relationship instead with this rich guy. And everybody who's talking about this, of course, cuz she's a woman, everyone's mm-hmm. like, well, "What did she look like that she was able to pull this rich dude?" And everyone's like, "We don't have photos of her before the age of 40." But she must have been hot, right? So mm-hmm. this is the kind of analysis that these men talking about this cult and the true crime men are doing. They're like, how hot was this woman? We need to know. Would I fuck her? Ah.
0: So this is, do you remember the uh, hot or not thing from the early 2000s? Yes. Where you just... Cl- the, like, the real cultural analysis that's happening here is basically that. Yeah, it's hot or yeah.
1: not.com on mm. this woman, May. Yeah, this is the thing that all the dude crime writers, this mm. was the burning question they had when I do was they, here and do all Do they come
0: it. to a conclusion? They but, come
1: to the conclusion that she must have been kind of hot, if mm. she was able to pull this guy, she probably wasn't as hot as her daughter.
0: That's uh, a great, like, really wholesome conclusion for people to... Yeah, definitely...
1: Yeah. A surprising conclusion for men to come to that a Mm -hmm. woman would not be as hot as her daughter. Who could have guessed that? Yeah, no. So at this time, it's pretty undeniable that Fremont Everett, this rich guy, is completely in love with her. He's so Mm -hmm. taken by her. He uh, purchased several apartment buildings in her name. So he's like, you'll always have an income as long as you're a landlord. Like, own these apartment buildings. He's rich guy real hard. He's rich dad, poor daddy
0: And I mean, he's, uh, you know... He's making her a part of the landlord ownership class.
1: Yeah, it's Uh, it's an interesting thing. Um, He's also, like, writing these letters to her on, like, his letterhead at work that's just like, dear May, I'm obsessed with you. I'm totally Mm going to divorce my wife and be with you. Like, signing it with his name on the letterhead. And Mm -hmm. uh, the other analysis that these crime writers are doing are like, this guy's really bad at cheating on his wife.
0: Yeah, this is the uh, lipstick on the collar of the what 19 are we still in the 19th century
1: yeah, well no we're in the early early 1900s oh, here okay so this is maybe like 19 uh oh, 8 19 mm-hmm. you know so, something like that so you know this is interesting what's going on and she's like oh this is working well i got a lot of evidence if this guy ever fucks me over i got all this proof you know that mm-hmm. he was into me and i can like probably bribe and extort him to keep this money train rolling so, this is why all these people suspected that the motivation for her uh, not getting back together with her maybe alive, maybe dead first husband and not taking the $100,000 was she was like, this guy's way more of a cash cow for me in the future. So, we don't actually know her motives. This is just speculation, obviously. But we do know that she saved a box of evidence of her relationship with Fremont Mont Everett mm-hmm. for most of her life. She had this box. So, it could have been just sentimental mm-hmm. or it could have been like, I have receipts.
0: She really liked know. the letterhead. She thought it was
1: beautiful, know. inspiring, mm-hmm. maybe. So, in 1911, around this time, her mom's second husband dies. Mm-hmm. Ever, all the husbands are dying. And that next year, May ends up having her marriage to the maybe alive, maybe dead guy, the second guy after that, annulled. Okay. So, th- we got a lot of marriage things happening mm-hmm. with May and her mom, Jenny. And Rudolph Schultz, the second husband, tries to then demand half of her properties that the rich guy gave her. Because he's like, oh, you annul my marriage? (laughs) I take your properties. You know why? Because you took $125 from me every month, and Mm -hmm. that money somehow helped you date this man and get the properties and i don't know how but i know it did
0: this guy seems like kind of a schmuck yeah to be honest he's
1: kind of a schmuck yeah and these apartment buildings are valued at a lot of money by this point Mm -hmm. they're valued at fifty thousand dollars which is the equivalent of 1.5 million Mm dollars and he's like i think i deserve half of that and the judge was like you don't you definitely don't deserve half of that you Mm -hmm. in fact deserve none of that that's not yeah so he wins nothing he does not win the suit so by this point it's 1913 may is now 32 years old her mom, Jenny, gets married to her third husband. Mm-hmm. So what we see is these women are like, one's down, got to move on to the next one. They're jumping from husband to husband. Mm-hmm. But they don't have a lot of other options. Like, I don't even think you could open a bank account as a woman by yourself in your own name till like, the 1970s in the United States. That's, I know my grandma mm-hmm. was not able to open a bank account in her own name. They had to be, like, her father's name or her husband's name. Mm-hmm. So if you're a woman in the 1930s and you're like, my husband died, what are you going to do? You Mm -hmm. probably got to get another husband or try your best to. Your life's going to be easier if you can. Mm -hmm. So, May, 32 years old, her mom, Jenny, marries her third husband, who's a Portland grocer named Walter Blackburn. And Walter Blackburn had a 12-year-old son named Ward Sitton Blackburn that he brought into this marriage, too. Mm -hmm. So, mom marries into this little family, and they are actually wed on Friday the 13th of september of that year which also maybe tells you like maybe these people have a little bit of occultism interest running through all of
0: them oh okay so that like friday the 13th is already enough of a thing to where they're it's like
1: superstitious okay yes. people notice it people yeah. are like huh that's a weird day to get married so something a little occulty is seeping into the family a couple years later two years later 1915 may who by this point is 34 years old gets married again. This is now her third husband. A 27-year-old singer named George Bloom in Vancouver, Washington. And this guy is a real weird guy for her to marry. He's got some charges on record for contributing to the delinquency of a minor girl, which might just be, like, pedophilia charges. Uh Uh-huh. And... Rumor has it she wanted to marry this guy, even though he's not very great, because she read in the local newspaper that he had just won three thousand dollars in a lawsuit from falling through a hole in his construction. She she's
0: she's gone down in the world. She's going from I apartment know. buildings to I guess a she still
1: place. she still owns the apartment building.
0: No, 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 but like in terms yeah. of the quality of her.
1: Well, I thought this was suspicious too. Okay, mm-hmm. so. He wins the three thousand dollars. That's the equivalent of ninety thousand bucks today? That's a lot, but that's not like your life is set money. And also she mm-hmm. already owns apartment buildings valued at one point five million dollars. Does she really need to go after this guy because mm-hmm. he won ninety thousand bucks in a settlement?
0: Wait, but here's the question. Was he hot?
1: We don't know. He was mm-hmm. a singer. Maybe he was yeah. hot. Maybe he was hot. We don't know. So again, the true crime writers of the world are like, this fucking bitch, this manipulative bitch. Like, she mm-hmm. wanted his $90,000. So I'm like, I, okay, maybe. Maybe she's super evil and manipulative and plotting and that $90,000 looked really good to her. Mm-hmm. But also, it's like, not like she's broke. So I like, that didn't really make sense to me. Yeah. But this is how people tell the story. Like, mm-hmm. she's conniving. She's going for the money man. But it does seem like she could pull a better money man than this. Mm -hmm. And she's 34. She's not, it's not like she's aging out. She's fine. So, you know, she marries this guy, but less than two years later, the marriage is over. It does not Mm -hmm. go well. And she's like, yeah, that guy was super abusive and bad to me. That didn't Mm -hmm. go well. So by this point, May's 36, she is starting to get older. She's starting to look her age a little bit. And it's getting a little harder for her to win the attention of wealthy men. Mm -hmm. And that was pretty much the only way women could, Make it in the mm-hmm. USA. Just hope you're hot enough that some rich dude wants to pay for you to live because your options are fucked, right? So this is going on, and May's like, I gotta figure out what I'm doing with my life. Uh, around this time, though, something happens. Ruth, her daughter, turns 18. And mm-hmm. Ruth is, by all accounts,
0: super
2: hot.
1: Super hot. Mm. Everyone is just like, this chick was so hot. You like hear these true crime writers like foaming at the mouth over Uh how hot ruth was like oh ruth is so hot so from 1917 to 1920 we've got this period i call ruth goes to hollywood Mm -hmm. this is what happens so ruth just turns 18 uh she is really good at dancing she's danced ballet from a, a young age she loves to perform she loves to recite poetry she loves to sing She loves to be in the limelight. You know, she's a performer. And May sees opportunity in this. May is like, Ruth is clearly beautiful. Everybody's talking about beautiful she is all the time. And she's really talented. Um, But what's interesting is later on when journalists wrote about Ruth, because she does get really important, important enough for journalists to write about her, she is described as being psychopathic and evil, but beautiful.
0: That's...
1: I mean, I feel like that's the winning combination. This is what men want, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... She's described as being petite with large brown eyes, like, large Mm -hmm. dark eyes, which some people describe as being, like, soulless. They're so, like, Mm -hmm. brooding and deep. But she's got this undeniable charm and energy about her. People Mm -hmm. are drawn to her. People love her. So at some point during this period, Ruth does come to learn that May is not her sister, but is actually her mother. And this leads to her interchangeably for the rest of her life, referring to May as mother or sister or sister mother. Mm -hmm. Just in there somewhere. And May still has these properties, and Mm -hmm. she's like, okay, I'm going to go all in on my daughter. I'm going to use the money from these properties that I've earned to secretly pay to create two movies in Portland, Oregon, starring my daughter. It's going to be the first feature film ever made in Portland Mm -hmm. called A Nugget in the Rough and an accompanying short film, because this used to be considered like a full show would be a short film and a full-length feature. And
0: we're still in silent movie time, right? Because you, I know you
1: easy. Yeah, I think we are maybe in silent movie time. You here. were
0: describe like I looked at your notes and it was like they, uh, the theater paid for a new organ. Yes, this exactly. is yeah.
1: No, so it must have been silent movie time. And the idea that May had was not just like I'm going to make my daughter famous. She's like my daughter has a quality. People like also. What if I make portland like a second hollywood on the west coast Mm -hmm. like what if we start doing movie here and it's interesting because if you go to portland today when you go to the portland airport you know they have the whole section about film production in portland and they Mm -hmm. do try to market it as being like a place where movies are made and it all did start with this woman
0: may blackburn uh entrepreneur and innovator
1: in portland film but she really did she made the first feature film ever made in portland so this movie is a love story about a girl from a mining camp she's rough around the edges but she ends up actually secretly being an heiress she gets all cleaned up and then a man falls in love with her and may advertises this film everywhere in town she manages to be so good at marketing that she creates a real buzz for this movie and yes the biggest theater in town ended up installing a new organ worth twenty thousand dollars reportedly just so that the score of the film could be played along with it when it debuted And the film was super successful in Portland, but it failed to generate any excitement outside of town, and it didn't really lead to Portland being the movie hub May had imagined. Especially not that fast.
0: This feels like a story current Portland residents will know well and understand. It's super popular there. Not popular anywhere anywhere else.
1: Yeah, that's the Portland way. So in 1918, May is still like, well, my... Money plans, ambitions to make Portland like a hub for film development failed. But I think my daughter Ruth can still be a movie star. So she's like, you know what, we gotta move to LA. It's just not gonna happen in Portland. We gotta move to LA. But May had blown through a lot of money making these movies, and she needed more money to fund them moving. So she ended up pawning her apartment buildings back to Everett, the rich guy who bought mm-hmm. them for her. Uh, for $25,400, which would be the equivalent of a little over half a million bucks today.
0: So she's losing money.
1: She's losing money, um, but it's a pawn. She's like, I'm going to come back for these. Like, Mm -hmm. thank you for helping me. Take them back for now, and I'm going to come back for them. And they Mm sign this whole agreement, and they work it all out. So they move to L.A. with this half a million dollars, and Ruth auditions for acting roles, like, daily, but she only ever gets work as, like, a background extra, which is kind of like the L.A. way, like... You might be really special in your hometown, but you come here and everybody who is special in their hometown is here. And all of a sudden you're just normal. Yeah. Yeah. So this is kind of what Ruth experiences. Ruth is like the engaging, charming ingenue of Portland, but she gets to L.A. and she's just like another pretty girl. Mm -hmm. And she maybe actually isn't that special here. So this gets really, really difficult meanwhile may is like well maybe i can be a film director like i helped make this movie i think i could help get movies made so she starts looking for work too she's like i'm gonna do this job i'm gonna work in film but she's not really able to find anything either because everyone's like you did this one weird movie in portland like sorry no so she starts to get really depressed and really anxious about money mm-hmm. right she's like five hundred thousand dollars isn't really enough for both of us to live our whole lives on the equivalent of today right
0: she, she's at every cafe telling the barista about the script that she's going to write right. ev- every time day. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. And everyone's like, it's not going to happen. So she gets so depressed and anxious that she stops leaving the house. Mm-hmm. So she and Ruth are living in an apartment together, and she's, like, not going anywhere anymore. She's just sitting at home and just mm-hmm. reading her Bible.
0: Is it, uh, Did I understand that they were in Bunker Hill? Is that where...
1: Oh, I don't know where they were to start. They move a lot. So there's yeah. a lot of addresses to keep track of. I do have some of the address numbers, but I mm-hmm. don't quite know where they are at this period.
0: I think I'd read somewhere when I was sort of like glancing over stuff for this yeah. that at some point they were living in Bunker Hill, which just seems... Per- if uh, if you're a fan of Los Angeles noir or like Kiss Me Deadly, there are a lot of shots of it, and it's this very steep, weird neighborhood full of these kind of by this time i guess it probably still would have been a relatively affluent neighborhood uh but by the 30s and 40s it was a pretty decrepit
1: Ah, uh okay area okay this makes sense this would make sense um so they are you know in this apartment together and ruth is working still she's not able to get a lot of acting work may is not able to work at all so may mm-hmm. is just sitting home obsessively reading and her rereading her bible and she's like i'm memorizing the bible this is what i'm doing because i can't book work she's just mm-hmm. kind of like not doing great and ruth is supporting them both with her main source of money now at this time which is dancing mm-hmm. so she's doing this thing called taxi dancing and she's doing exotic dancing
0: wait what is taxi dancing
1: okay so taxi dancing is super interesting uh taxi dancers were sometimes called daima dance girls because Basically, you'd have these dance halls, which were not open to anybody. Like, a woman off the street couldn't Mm -hmm. go into this dance hall and dance. They were only open to men, usually. And the establishment, the dance hall, would hire women to work there just to dance with men.
0: Oh, she's a hostess.
1: She's kind of like a hostess, yes. So the men pay a fee to dance with the Mm -hmm. girls. And these dance halls were really interesting. Um, Sometimes they were just like basically brothels, so Mm -hmm. it would be like a front. So, like, the men would go pay money to, like, dance with the girls to choose a girl he liked, and then after hours, the girls would engage Mm -hmm. with sex work with the clients. Um, And some of these girls were really young. Like, some were, like, 15, 16. Some of them, when they showed up, they didn't really understand that that was the system in place, Mm -hmm. and it was hard to figure out which of these taxi dancers the expectation was sex work and which weren't kind of like massage parlors i assume yeah like you would have really high-end ones where everybody would be like yeah no that's literally just dancing and those would usually be marketed as like dance schools and the girls working there would be like dance instructors and that would be kind of how they were pitched like you as a man would go in and like pay a girl to help you get better at dancing but some of them were actually just fronts for sex work and a lot of the young girls especially weren't sure what they were getting into and there were varying degrees of like how normalized this was or wasn't some of them were like owned by organized crime syndicates and those were like definitely more sex work oriented Mm -hmm. some weren't some were super legitimate so whatever so we know that ruth is working in these dance halls as a taxi dancer and we also know though that she's doing exotic dancing and i didn't realize the reason why exotic dancing is called that why okay so the reason it's called this is because originally like sexual dancing of any kind like stripping basically was wrapped up in this like exoticism and orientalism and this hypersexualization of women of color is
0: it very much like balinese belly dancing kind of vibe kind of but it's
1: not accurate at all so basically Mm -hmm. they're like look if you're like a white woman in the usa and you are dancing we know based on american culture what clothes are considered like provocative or sexual Mm -hmm. but if we put you in something that's vaguely asian or vaguely african We don't know what's normal or not, so we don't know how sexy this is. So basically what you would have is these white women in the United States going by names like Little Egypt uh, doing hyper-sexualized American fake versions of like belly dancing yeah, Mm -hmm. in really racist costumes. Yeah. So this was kind of what this was. Um, So Ruth did this. She did exotic dancing, but she also did work at a dance hall called the Rose Room, which was one of those taxi dancing spots, which was located at 755 South Spring Street and historians think that probably it was one of the nicer ones because there were also like records of people holding like formal events in these spaces too like people would rent them out and like throw weddings and parties there so it was probably more above board so we're not sure if ruth was a sex worker but she was definitely making money based off of her appearance you know so it's kind of hard and it's also hard because you're like well These women, both of them, may as well. Her income is dependent on men finding her sexually desirable. Like, Mm -hmm. that is the experience of womanhood under patriarchy. So this first year, they are in Los Angeles. This is kind of how things are going. It's not going great. But Ruth ends up meeting her first husband, Edgar Jack Rickenball. And he is a 22-year-old railway clerk from Pennsylvania. And... Rick and Baugh and Ruth get married in Los Angeles the following year, May 27th, 1919, and May is there as the witness. Mom is there as the witness. And uh, May goes and uses her last name, Otis, her maiden name. So, she's not married at this time. She's like, I'm just May. And together, they lived with May in an apartment, uh, 355 South Grand Avenue. Mm -hmm. So what is that? That's downtown.
0: That's downtown. I also wanted to mention, I just looked it up, uh, 751 South Spring. Because I was like, wait, that's like I used to live downtown. Yeah,
1: seven fifty-five South Spring, but yeah.
0: Seven. So, okay, we're we're in the neighborhood. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, But that would have been really close to the stock exchange, which was on the six hundred block. Oh. uh Because for a long time, the sort of Western stock exchange, uh, before I think the telegram or communication made things
1: that, easier. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I uh, was in downtown LA. Um,
1: so she was probably dealing with a more high-end clientele.
0: Like stock brokers. Stock bros.
1: She was dealing with some some, some money bros, some finance yeah. bros. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, poor Ruth. Okay. So this is kind of the life. She's Ruth is now married to this guy, Edgar Jack Rickenbaugh, and they're living in an apartment downtown with her mom, May, there too. And Edgar, when he talks about this, Edgar Jack Rickenbaugh, he's like, you know, May and Ruth had a comfortable amount of money, But they also were very vocal about the fact that they had lost a lot of money, too. And there seemed to be these competing ideas that they did have money, right? But they were constantly worried that it wasn't going to be enough and it wasn't going to sustain them. And they were very concerned with things like getting a job, getting money, and keeping the Mm -hmm. cash flow coming in. So Ruth, after they got married, continued to work in dance. And she seemed really passionate about it, honestly. Uh, She was very proud to be good at dancing. She loved dancing. And later on, we see as her life unfolds in very interesting ways, and we start to get into the more culty elements that popped up. She maintains this passion for dance her whole mm-hmm. life. So, 1920 to 1922, things start to get—I'm going to say—weird. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like things have been super weird up to this point, except for maybe um, you know, everybody has to get married a whole bunch. I feel like but...
0: the re- the reading the bible over and over no like
1: this is this is we're starting to get weird
0: that like that's never a sign that good things are happening
1: right it's probably not yeah you're totally right so it starts to get really really weird um and in 1920 may ends up getting married again too she marries a man with the last name holmes apparently History has a hard time documenting, though, who this man would have been, where he would have come from. We know May wasn't leaving the house very much at this time. There's a chance this didn't even happen.
0: This is this was just made up.
1: But Maybe. we know that she starts going on record using this last name Holmes. Mm-hmm. So potentially she did marry a guy and it just wasn't that interesting and it didn't last that long. We don't know. But what we do know in the world of marriage is happening has to do with Ruth. Ruth is married to Edgar Jack Rickenbaugh who goes by Mm -hmm. Jack. And by 1921, Jack is getting really, really jealous. Mm -hmm. And if you're a really jealous man and your wife works as an exotic dancer and a taxi dancer and is interacting with men constantly...
0: This seems like a bad deal.
1: It's a bad deal. And he starts getting really, really violent with Ruth. Mm -hmm. Really violent. So the two file for divorce. But neither of them can comfortably afford a divorce
0: oh so they they are kept together by precarity
1: well so they separate right Mm -hmm. supposedly on good-ish terms Mm -hmm. but they're not fully removed from each other's life so after the divorce ruth and may move to 222 and a half lincoln avenue and they move in together ruth continues to work dancing jobs uh may meanwhile has just gone full-blown into reclusive religious zealot mode she never leaves the apartment she's just reading rereading that bible that's all she's doing she's just on the bible on the bible on the bible meanwhile 1922 the next year ruth meets a new guy 26 year old indiana native arthur osborne and she meets this guy at one of her dancing jobs so Remember, she's still married to this super jealous, abusive man, Jack, but they're separated. They're not living together. She meets this new boy, Arthur Osborne. He lives in an apartment in Whittier, but he works in the California oil fields and also on the Sanchez Ranch in Santa Fe Springs. So he happened to mention, just when talking about his relationship with Ruth, he's like, Yeah, you know, she wasn't very affectionate. She wasn't very conversational. She wasn't very sweet. She was very aloof and mysterious, very, very beautiful. And I was still just head over heels in love. There was something mm-hmm. about her. She was mysterious. And they end up kind of getting engaged, but the whole time he knows she's got this like abusive husband in the picture still. They're separated, they can't afford to get divorced. And he's kind of like, this is a problem. This is like scary. I don't like this. Uh, Like, Jack, the husband, he will still just show up at Ruth's house unannounced just to see what's going on.
0: Super healthy behavior. Yeah,
1: right? Mm -hmm. Um, So, Ruth is like, we have to keep our relationship a secret to the new guy. She's like, I just don't want to set him off. Really, really Mm -hmm. scary, like, textbook abuse dynamic. Very frightening. Um, So, while this is going on, this is the setup in their life. One night, both Ruth and May experience something I can only describe as, like, a shared delusion. So my first thought was gas leak. There's a gas leak in the apartment, and they're having this delusion. But when I think about the fact that May from a young age was experiencing these kinds of delusions, it's also possible there's something going on that's like a genetic predisposition towards psychosis, maybe, in the family. Uh, We later learn that Jenny, uh, May's mom, claims to have experienced some delusions as well. Mm -hmm. So this is either some sort of genetic predisposition towards psychosis, or maybe there is a gas leak and to go along with the gas leak theory um the new boyfriend Arthur Osborne says that Ruth starts complaining about feeling vaguely sick all the time
0: that sounds she, yeah
1: gas leaky right she's kind of weak she's not feeling great and it's hard because she's a dancer it's a physical job mm-hmm. and it is a physical job it's a lot yeah. of labor so he's really worried he's like I'm really worried about you going to work doing this physical job when you're not feeling well I feel like you should stay home and rest and uh, you know, Something's going on, and this one night, living together in that house, Ruth and May both claim they hear otherworldly beings calling their names, and they both say they see a figure appear before them in bright white light. And they both report this pretty fast. Like, the next day, like, Ruth is telling her boyfriend, like, this weird thing happened last night. Um, so it's worth noting that a few years later, in 1924, the LA Times attempted to interview Ruth and May uh, about... What would later turn into a cult, basically, that they found, based on this experience. And their takeaway is not that these people are malicious grifters. The LA Times takeaway is that these people are just extremely mentally ill. Okay. So that kind of lends credence to the idea that there's some sort of genetic predisposition Mm -hmm. for maybe schizophrenia or another psychological... I don't know. I'm not a mental health professional. I can't diagnose these people, obviously. But maybe there's something going on that's causing the people in this bloodline to all experience psychosis
0: wait did the la times weigh in on the burning question
1: which burning question hot or not hot or not they did describe ruth as being very hot yes she's very hot the la times said she was real looker um so you know i think that there's a question here we have no way of really knowing what happened, but we do know that at the same time they very quickly reported having this shared kind of experience that's mm-hmm. otherworldly. And what they claim happened is that Gabriel, the angel from the Bible, came down to their apartment to inform them that, as per the book of Revelations eleven three, 3, chapter 11, verse 3, they were the two witnesses chosen to spread the message about the end of the world. Lucky so, them. Yes. So they come out of this experience believing that they have been appointed to write a book of divine knowledge, which they would call the seventh trumpet of Gabriel, uh, but they later changed that name to the Great Sixth Seal. But they're supposed to write this book about all the stuff Gabriel's telling them.
0: This is a. Good, I guess we'll get to it. I could. Not, I couldn't tell if they wrote the damn book.
1: Okay, they wrote. They wrote a lot of things, but they never wrote this one particular book, which mm-hmm. we will get into. But. They start thinking about this book fast. And May and Ruth are like, this book is going to make us rich and famous because everybody's going to want to read this book, right? It doesn't even matter what your religion is. You're going to want to purchase this book. We're going to sell billions of copies in the future because literally everybody's going to want it. But right out of the gate, anybody with a Bible is going to want it, we know, because it synthesizes and explains the Old and New Testaments together. So they're like, this book is going to be so important Mm -hmm. and we got to write this book. We're going to make this book. So they're struggling though because may doesn't really have a job ruth is sick all the time kind of she's not able to dance as much so she goes to arthur and she's like i'm really excited to write this book you know i had this biblical vision but i can't afford to do it like could you give me money so that we can live until the book is finished being written and then once the book is published we're gonna make so much money i'll be able to pay back so much and arthur is Super in love with Ruth and he's like, anything for you, babe. I am really worried about you going to work in your compromised physical state. I know you're not physically well, but you have to promise me you're going to use some of this money to finalize your divorce with your abusive ex who keeps showing up unannounced and it's really freaking me out. Yeah. So she's like, got it. Yes, Mm -hmm. definitely will do. So Arthur doesn't have money, right? But he goes to his employer, the Sanchez Ranch, and he asks for a loan. And they say yes. And honestly, his employers are kind of, like, way cooler about this than most employers would be. Uh They're just like, yeah, you work hard, we'll give you the money. And he gives Ruth the money, one, to finalize her divorce with her ex, and also, two, to help fund her and May writing this book. So, Ruth does use some of the money to pay for a divorce from her first husband, and this makes her officially single and officially able to properly date Arthur in a more serious capacity and potentially get married, which is when he starts to claim that they were, yes, engaged. But, she and may do not write this book they do not finish this book so she goes to arthur and asks for more money and arthur's like giving her every penny that he can possibly spare from working his job on the ranch some sources say that he even asked his bosses for a second loan which they denied what we do know though is no matter what the time comes up where he's supposed to pay back the first loan from the ranch and they're like okay time to pay it back And this is where it's interesting, kind of, like, how cool the ranch is about it. He's like, well, I don't have the money yet. Can you wait? And they're like, yeah, sure. That's fine. Mm -hmm. So he goes to Ruth, and he's like, hey, like, my boss is kind of hounding me about paying it back. Like, how's the book coming along? And she's like, just tell him a few more weeks. We're so close. So he keeps going back to his boss. (laughs) He's like, a few more weeks, a few more weeks. And they're like, you got it, you got it, you got it. Until eventually, they're like, hey, are you okay? Mm -hmm. They're, They're like, you can't. This doesn't feel right. This feels wrong. And he then is like... Wait, maybe it is wrong. So he goes back to Ruth and he's like, can you show me, like, pages of the book? Have you guys written anything? And obviously she and May can't because mm-hmm. they have not Oh, they haven't anything. even
0: written a page.
1: No, they've written nothing at this point.
0: That is, this is a real classic Hollywood story. You, you know, you're...
1: It reminds me of the Book of Mormon. Do you know the story about them no. writing the Book of Mormon? Oh, this is so interesting. So the guy who wrote the Book of Mormon, he found this rich dude... Mm-hmm. Uh, who like believed in him, and he, mm-hmm. you know, the whole thing about they like find the texts it, 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 and
0: buried in the ground in what Connecticut, something. Yeah, but yeah. also
1: like they're talking. He's talking to an angel, and the angel's dictating this to him, and he mm-hmm. has to write it all down. And he gets this rich guy to like fund him writing it all down. But the rich guy's wife is like, "Hello, we are being conned. Why are you giving this guy money?" And mm-hmm. the rich guy is like, "No, no, no. Trust me." So finally, the dude writes the Book of Mormon, mm-hmm. right? And he gives the old, it's handwritten. He gives the copy to the rich guy to be like, look, I wrote it. Like, this is straight from the word of God to me. Like, mm-hmm. I'm hearing the word of God and I'm writing it. So it's like, I didn't come up with it. This is the word of God. So the rich guy takes it home to his wife and his wife grabs it and like mm-hmm. burns it. And it's like, well, if the word of God wrote it, your dude should be able to rewrite it exactly as it was the first time without any changes because mm-hmm. it's the word of God. He's not coming up with it. She's smart. I
0: love this lady. No, me too. She's like, we
1: are getting conned. My husband Mm. is so dumb. What the fuck? So this kind of reminded me of this. where You know, they're like, yeah, yeah, we're totally writing it. The word of God, the word of God, the word of God. And somebody's like, hey, I don't think they're writing that. That seems really, really fake. Mm -hmm. But there's somebody who wants to believe. And like, you know, Arthur wants to believe because he wants to believe in Ruth. He wants to Mm -hmm. believe that they're going to be together and everything's going to be okay. So eventually the ranch is like, Arthur, you got to pay the loan back or you're going to lose your job. Pick one. And Arthur is trying to talk to Ruth and he's not getting anywhere. So Arthur's dad gets so upset that he goes to Ruth and May's house on Lincoln Street and is like, you guys have to pay my son back this money. You're ruining his life. And May gets into this massive fight with him at the door. Mm-hmm. Screaming, threatening him. It's like, how fucking dare you come here? And then she calls Arthur's mother and is like, if, you, if your son... Or, or his father, your husband, ever comes to my house again, I will murder them. And Arthur is like, she was just being hyperbolic. That's just how she talks. But some other people are like, no, she might have been literally serious that she would murder them. This
0: seems like they might be tipping into I will murder you territory at this point. I feel like that's where...
1: Yeah, I feel like the murder could be on the table at this mm-hmm. point because something's going on. So Arthur does lose his job, yeah, because mm-hmm. they cannot produce any pages of the book he cannot repay the loan and he is out of options and he has no choice but to sign up for the army oh poor. so he signs up for the army i know and before he goes to boot camp he stops by ruth and may's apartment one last time just to say goodbye to ruth and when he gets there he realizes it is empty
0: they've moved
1: they are gone they have moved this i back to portland Yeah, to get followers together for their new movement, the Divine Order of the Royal Arms of the Great Eleven. And to do it, they're going to move back in with May's mom, Jenny, and her husband, the grocer, and his son. So, 1923, 1924, this is the return to Portland era. Now, it's too clear cut to say they just moved to Portland and they never go back to L.A. The truth is, for the next three or four years, they're going back and forth between Portland and L.A. a lot. But around this time, Portland's really their home base. So they go back to Portland and Ruth and May move into Walter Blackburn and Jenny's house. This is May's mom and her husband along with Walter's son Ward at 5440 82nd Street, which this address bothers me because I'm like, did Portland change? You need the Northeast, Northwest, Southeast, Southwest to even know where this is.
0: Wait, what what was the address again?
1: 5440 82nd Street.
0: feel like that's got to be like pretty far north if i if i remember how the streets go in portland yeah but um
1: so whatever the case they move to the spot where blackburn's grocery store is also located and they get to work right away trying to recruit followers for this new spiritual endeavor they have Mm -hmm. so may has this ideology based on what gabriel the angel has told her Mm -hmm. so she's like look both of us both of us, me and my daughter Ruth, we are both in direct contact with the angel Gabriel because we are the two witnesses prophesized in the Bible. Uh, a lot of this theology is rooted in New Thought Christianity, but it's not exactly that. So New Thought is its own school of Christianity, and they do draw heavily from it, mm-hmm. but it's not exactly that. Wait, what's that. New Thought? So New Thought holds the belief that faith could and should lead to health and material wealth.
0: Oh, this we're getting into Christian science stuff. Yes, yeah. and
1: it does start to overlap with Christian science too. So... They're like, if you believe in God, you're gonna be rich. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't God want us to be rich? Which is wild. If you've read the Bible or listened to anything Jesus said, because the Bible's all like, it's easier for a camel to fit through the needle of an, the eye of a needle than for a rich man to go to heaven. And Jesus is like, literally, we need to sell all of our stuff and live together cum- communally and have no rich people.
0: Yeah, that, so. that's just like I feel like this is like a very, you know, Max Weber talks about this. The like. There is a very specific way of doing Christianity that is very American that is about, like, being the elect. And you can show that you're elect by being rich, but being rich in, like, a...
1: Like, God wants you to be rich.
0: But, like, you're not... You're going to be, like, New England rich where you don't show it Oh, you're not tacky. Yeah, you're not tacky.
1: Okay, okay, got it. So, May did want everybody Mm -hmm. to be tacky rich. Yeah. She wanted to be really tacky. She mm-hmm. was a tacky woman by all accounts, uh, which I like. I like a tacky mm-hmm. woman. Um, so she's got this theology, this idea that's kind of rooted in that New Thought Christianity that, like, hey, if you believe in God, good things are going to happen to you and you're just going to get rich. But the practices that went along with this ideology actually mirrored more like the ancient goddess Hecate. They were more pagan in practice. So they had this, mm-hmm. like, kind of Christian ideology, but it came with these, like, pagan ideas of ritual and action. And May's recruiting style was described as using flowery metaphysical gibberish, which she started writing down, but just on parchment paper. So she would have, like, a stack of parchment paper, and you could only see the paper on top, but it would be, like, on a bunch of other papers, but the other papers were inaccessible. It was all bound together. Mm-hmm. So when you looked at it, it could look like it was, like, 3,000 pages, but it was only, like, Thirty pages with a bunch of stuff under you couldn't see
0: oh this is she's doing the thing where she's making the space between the letters on her essay a little bit wider
1: yes that okay she's yes it's called kerning she's kerning extra wide to take up space yeah yeah so this is also this process comes with props she starts using props. She's got this, like, really tattered map. She's got this really old, messed-up Bible. And she's like, yeah, you know, when I, when I accept the dictation from Gabriel, he's talking about all these places I've never heard of, these places I've never been. So I have to, like, look at this map and, like, look through the Bible to figure out, like, what he's talking about mm-hmm. so I can translate it in a way that makes sense for people because it's all this old-school Bible stuff. I don't know. So this is working. People are like, mm-hmm interesting because remember if you listen to our bonus episode the era people want to believe people want to believe especially the kind of people who are living they're, in portland they're Oregon. Fox Mulder. they're fox molder they're fox molder they want to believe and mm-hmm. especially again people with proximity to privilege mm-hmm. tend to be very susceptible to occultism so <laughs> these people in portland they're a lot of white people people with a lot of privilege and they want it they want it real bad mm-hmm. and This idea that is being written about on these 30 pages is really confusing. It's really complicated. It's really esoteric. But the key idea she's expressing at this time is this. So the universe breathes in and out uh, via a fourth dimension. And as it does it, each breath, it swallows old dimensions and spits out new ones. And it's like this pump exists. It kind of regulates the cyclical cleansing of the fourth dimension. And that pump is called the tree of life. And when the tree of life is functioning properly, and this is kind of pseudoscience right? Because you're like, oh, like the tree takes in carbon dioxide and releases oxygen. So that's kind of the, the what's going on here. They're like, the tree takes in the bad old, old dimensions and spits out clean, good ones for us. And when it's working properly, man is going to live forever because the universe will be replacing our aging bodies with brand new ones at regular intervals because every time a new dimension gets spit out, we get a new body and we could just be living forever. Mm -hmm. Uh, But when Adam and Eve ate the apple, it was from the tree of life and that actually broke the pump and the whole universe got thrown out of whack.
0: This is also, it does feel it's very mechanistic in this very weird way that feels a little bit like it she was watching like a septic system work and was like i think i got an idea
1: yeah this is jesus pump god pump yeah so she's like look mankind we can reverse the tree cycle soon and then humans could live forever again and then anybody who had ever died since adam and eve they wouldn't be dead anymore because we'd get the new dimension spit out and then we'd all be good again.
0: And the world would get very crowded.
1: Yeah, but that's fine. She's fine with that. We'll Mm -hmm. just build high-rises. That's okay. Okay. So anyone who can assist with fixing the broken pump tree, you're definitely going to live forever. And you are also going to learn the lost measurements of Solomon to help find deposits of precious metals like gold and diamonds that are buried throughout the Earth. And once the universe is set right, a chosen family of 11 is going to be established who would be called a divine order of the Royal arms of the great 11, which would be a spiritual family of 11 women, two of whom would be Ruth and may. And the other nine would be from this group. And the 11 women are going to reign in 11 palaces on a hill in Hollywood where you get a horde of gold and precious stones that you got from the magic things from Solomon uh, and you're going to find those and they, the stones, the precious stones and the metals, the gold, the diamonds, that all is currently residing somewhere underground near Bakersfield, California.
0: Can we talk about Bakersfield? Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. this is
1: extra funny if you know anything about Bakersfield.
0: I, you know, I'm just going to say uh, they came there looking for something they couldn't find anywhere else on the streets of Bakersfield. Oh. This Buck
1: Owens. Oh, okay. I don't know Buck Owens. No, is... I just know Corn is from Bakersfield. The band Corn is from Bakersfield. Mm-hmm. That is all you need to know about Bakersfield.
0: I. We knew some people who lived in like a McMansion on the outskirts of Bakersfield. The, I, I, were, did the parents live? No.
1: I don't know what was up with them. Honestly, we met them on a message board when we were in high school, and we used to go to shows in Bakersfield or sometimes LA. And we'd pick them up on the way from Fresno. And they were cool.
0: They were super cool. I
1: liked them a lot. bako is a fun town, but it is not a town you associate with gold and diamonds, I'll say.
0: Yeah, I, yeah.
1: It is a very, what's like a good, it's like if Arizona, the entire state, was a town in California.
0: It's, you know, there is no center there.
1: It is more Fresno than Fresno. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so this is Bakersfield. So this idea that the Bible hid... Diamonds and jewels under Bakersfield, California.
0: Well, that's a great place to hide something. That's true. Nobody's gonna look. No one's looking. Yeah,
1: nobody's looking there. Okay, Mm -hmm. so this is interesting. So, also, she's like these eleven queens, basically, that are gonna be the spiritual family of high priestesses, which is me and my daughter and nine more of you. Could be you. Mm Oh, could be you. Um. Gabriel's also going to give each of us a harem of 11 kings. Each one of us gets 11 kings.
0: That sounds great for them. like.
1: Yes. Yeah, so basically she's like, you can girl boss Polly Queen yourself into that sweet, sweet Bakersfield money while living in a palace in Hollywood with your 11 husbands.
0: This is beginning to sound like one of those multi-level marketing schemes where you level up to a thing and you get a nice
1: mercedes yes you level up to bakersfield riches and 11 husbands Mm -hmm. what's not to love and this whole tale was told to ruth and may specifically again because they were witnesses as noted in the biblical book of revelation chapter 11 verse 3 and i will grant my two witnesses power to prophecy for 1260 days so she's like from the date this started I've got one thousand two hundred and sixty days until all this comes true.
0: Wait, that's like
1: four years. Four basically. years. Yeah, she got a lifespan on the cult, which is always tricky.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Whenever you do a cult, if you got a direct time that things are supposed to happen, you got to get in and out of there fast. Which so it's like, does she actually believe this? Is she just having like some sort of psychosis, or is she scheming and scamming? And she's like, four years is all I need to get in and out of this.
0: Yeah, I mean, why not both?
1: Right. And she also was like, this process is going to start. Like, the pump is going to get fixed when Mm -hmm. I complete writing the book.
0: Which she has not yet started. Wait, no, no, she's got... She's
1: got some pages. She's got some pages. She's got some notes. She's got some notes. So, May is supposed to write all this down to this one book, These revelation from Gabriel, as the lost measurements of the universe allegedly stolen from Noah by his son Ham when Noah's Ark was under construction... And a lot of these teachings that she's, like, forming the basis for, they're also really invested in numerology, but she's trying to put an emphasis on the mathematics end of it rather than, like, magic. So it's, like, kind of pseudoscience math.
0: Is she good at math?
1: No. Not at all. Um, but it is, this whole thing ends up being so esoteric. And I think if the end goal was to confuse people, she did a really good job. Because mm-hmm. even people were like, I'm all in. I want to be one of the 11 priestesses with the Bakersfield money on the hilltop in Hollywood in the mansion with my 11 husbands Sign me up. Even those people still did not fully understand what the fuck she was talking about. Uh, and then when they were interviewed later and people were like, will you explain May's ideology? They'd be like, I'm a level with you. It was real hard to understand, and I don't think I understood any of it. But
0: that's, like, just proof of its truth, right? there's like, oh, my God, this is so esoteric. I'm not there yet. I, like, I gotta keep working
1: at it. I gotta work on it. Yeah, it's yeah. a me problem. I failed to understand mm-hmm. this thing that you were explaining because I am bad and I'll do better. Uh, but they followed, obviously, because of the promise of wealth and success. This idea that mm-hmm. you could be a special chosen person with a special secret knowledge mm-hmm. and... All of you, the things you care about would be protected. Your proximity to wealth, your proximity to privilege, your proximity to power. And not only would it be protected, you'd get even more powerful, more mm-hmm. wealthy, more something. So also important to note is Portland at this time is itself a major base for spirituality and the occult. Mm-hmm. So recruiting people here is pretty easy because as a location, it's primed. So congressmen's spouses are holding seances. Everyone's got a Ouija board, which we talked about in our bonus episode. So this was really working. So by 1924, May and Ruth had amassed some followers. One of their earliest followers we know is a woman named Jenny Toy. She was 37 years old, and she met them in Portland in 1922. And she and her husband, whose name was Arthur, he was 42 years old, he was a salesman for National Biscuit, they joined the <laughs> cult. So what we're seeing here is with the cult followers is that most of them are, what we talked about in our bonus episode as being like the um, target audience for this kind of thinking. (laughs) It's the same target audience as like fascism. It's like people who are doing fine ish, but aren't super special.
0: And are maybe like a little precarious in their doing fineness.
1: Yeah, and they're people who are not super educated. You're not going to have academics into this. You're going to have people who've who fancy themselves as being smarter than the average guy but aren't super educated and they're looking for something to validate their specialness.
0: A lot of autodidacts
1: maybe. What's autodidact?
0: You you teach yourself a bunch of stuff but you're oh. like you don't really have context so everything is sort of
1: Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah that would make sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, they get some early followers but they're still seeking more followers and more funding. So, you got to fund their life here, you know?
0: I mean, those mansions on Hollywood don't come cheap.
1: They don't come cheap, no. So, Mary, oh, May, sorry, then recruits her stepfather, Walter, the grocery store guy who's married to her mom, Jenny, and stepbrother, Ward Sitton Blackburn, to join them in what's now becoming a pretty fully actualized cult. So, they promise great rewards if Walter and Ward will help publish the book that, of course, May and Ruth are writing which has now changed its name to the great sixth seal. And May also begins recruiting, yes, from Christian science groups. And, you know, Christian science groups were of the belief that healing could be achieved just by asking and praying for help rather than using medical attention. Very controversial. Uh, They also believe that death was an illusion and that the dead could be resurrected, which fit in actually with May's beliefs. And May incorporates these thoughts into her new belief system, along with her apocalypse prophecies, uh, potentially strategically to try to draw from these groups and it works because lots of people recruited aged 19 to 45 brought their families they joined and many of them were from this christian science community so some more of the early members were for example a man named arthur knight and his wife minnie arthur was born in germany and he was a self-proclaimed metaphysician and he was the most highly educated in the cult he had a four-year degree oh what so, we don't know okay uh, metaphysicianing maybe i don't know
0: he did uh interdisciplinary studies
1: yeah probably yes yeah. okay so then we got howard shutt and his wife margaret and they have five children he's a newspaper man that's how they describe him she's a housewife then we got floyd miller who's a carpenter and he's got a wife either named dorothy or dora the records aren't quite clear then we have walter dingman who's 42 he's got a wife named flora 36 and they got two kids then we have Harrison Fisher, 41, is a streetcar operator, and his wife, Tanya, 52. And these two are really loyal. To the end, these two are loyal to what May and Ruth have going on. We have Dora Searing, who is a Christian Science War Room attendant.
0: What's a, yeah. What is a Christian Science War Room?
1: Well, you know, they don't. They just pray. They don't do medicine. So in the war room, people who've been injured in a war, they just go in there and they pray over you.
0: Oh, and then they...
1: They pray for you to get better.
0: That... Sounds like a really harrowing and ultimately quite frustrating job.
1: Yes. Uh, And also there weren't a lot of these jobs. I think I read somewhere that there were only like 30-ish of these people in the entire United States who held this position. Um, So somebody else that worked with her later joins the call and it's just assumed that she must have brought him in because they all kind of knew each other because it's a really rare job. We also have David Thompson, who's 18 years old and the only black member of the cult. He was from Louisiana and he met May when she went on a trip out to New Orleans. He just came back with her. He was like, Yeah, okay. Uh, they said he was a voodoo doctor. I don't know how much oh, of that so was that... real or just like weird racist projection out of this. But poor they're kid. like,
0: they're, you know, they're getting eclectic in where they're bringing their traditions from. Well, he's
1: really yeah, the only one. He's yeah. the only one, yeah. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people described him as rejecting social norms by one, growing his hair long two straightening it uh and also like three being like yeah i'll go join all these weird white people where i'm the only black person there so a lot of people in his community were like yeah he just like wanted to be different he just wanted to Mm -hmm. do anything different so he's described as like a large muscular guy and he ends up being basically may's de facto bodyguard and driver he likes carrying a gun everywhere he goes so he kind of just falls into that role he sometimes has a girlfriend with him but she wasn't part of the cult she's just Mm -hmm. like around just like uh, i don't know what she's doing with all these crazy white people um in portland may and ruth also recruit a family who ends up being their most ardent followers these are the most important people so this family is the rhodes family and these people are pretty major so martha the wife of this family she's the one who we assume probably knew dora searing the other christian science war room attendant and martha's really into the christian science stuff her husband william uh is there too william also was a carpenter And they were actually neighbors of Floyd and Dorothy Miller. So we see this kind of, like, spreading throughout communities. And Martha and William have an adopted daughter named Willa Rhodes. And Willa ends up being a really important figure. So uh, Martha, a real estate agent, also was a metaphysician who claims to have resurrected the dead successfully five times. And Willa, their daughter, adopted again, is described as a very pretty young girl. 15 years old 14 years old maybe at the time that they met her and May immediately is taken with Willa immediately May is like Willa is a future queen she's gonna be one of the eleven she is a high priestess and she's got a new name now and her name is the tree of life she is the tree of life wait
0: so they're fixing Willa
1: they're like Willa is
0: but because they have to fix the tree of life, right?
1: Well, Willa's going to be the one who fixed. it. Oh, they all just oh, have like oh, little oh, names. See. Yeah. They're not like Willa's broken. They're like Willa's special.
0: The main thing I'm getting here is uh, a good way to become one of these queens is to be hot.
1: Yeah. You got to be real beautiful. You got to yeah. be really beautiful. Yeah. So after a few years, May and Ruth are like, okay, we're officially moving back to L.A., like, we're doing it. We're moving. And they end up bringing with them 12 people that May and Ruth have recruited, as well as the Rhodes family Martha, William, and Willa. So they go back to LA around 1924, 1925. It's a little rough because, you know, they're going back and forth. But this is really when the cult starts to take hold. They're thriving in LA. So back in L.A., May's like, we got to get a charter. This thing's really getting official now. And so she writes a charter for what she calls the Divine Order of the Royal Arms of the Great 11. Uh, But there's also other titles, too. Like, sometimes she just calls it the Lamb's Charter of the New Millennium. Or sometimes she calls it, like, some variation of the divine order of the Royal Arms of the Great Eleven. Sometimes it's just the Great Eleven. But whatever the case, the Charter says, the order was established under the command of the Living God, whose seven spirits remember she's really into numerology, have voiced and given forward the word recorded in the seventh trumpet of St. Gabriel. And that trumpet was held in the control of the hand of May Otis, obviously. Mm. May's the one controlling it. And Ward Blackburn, that's her mom's husband no 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 her stepbrother is gonna have the power uh to honor and print the seventh trumpet and his father who's her mom's husband is gonna have the power to publish it so walter is her stepdad her mom's Mm -hmm. husband so he sells the grocery store in portland and he invests in a small printing shop in los angeles to do that like we're gonna print the book we're doing it and by august The Seventh Trumpet is indeed running off the presses, but it's not a book. It's just an eight-page pamphlet, and it's supposed to be the first part of seven pamphlets?
0: I mean, that... Still not a book.
1: Still not a book. Definitely not a book. So...
0: It's
1: a zine. It's a zine. They're making zines. (laughs) So... The book promised had started to get called The Great Sixth Seal and recruiting, so... Everybody was like, okay, this isn't the book. This isn't what you Mm -hmm. said. This is just flyers, like, the espoused May's perplexing belief system, Mm -hmm. which still didn't quite make sense to people. And honestly, um, around the same time, there was, like, another cult leader in L.A. who prophesied that, like, there was a day the world would end. And then May's beliefs maybe kind of piggybacked off that. And they were like, yeah, there's a day... That the new universe begins and it just happened mm-hmm. to be the day after that chick who had a successful cult said that her world was ending.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: Maybe was like, that's so weird because Gabriel told me the new universe starts literally the day after the world ends for her so she's kind of trying to be like they're all compatible come with me too and the like LA police maybe are looking at these flyers getting printed and they're like should we be concerned about this what's going on with this weird cult and I think at this point there's even if I remember correctly like a meeting like a loose meeting where like the police or like reporters go check in and they're like what are you guys printing here but they look at it and they're like there's nothing really incendiary or frightening here so I guess we can't tell you not to print it so keep printing them so New followers, meanwhile, now that they're in LA, are finding that it's really difficult to have jobs outside of the grade 11.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: They're, like, having a hard time finding work. There's kind of this thing where, like, if you're in the cult, you're allowed to work at this, like, nearby tomato packing place. I but have, that's I have to
0: imagine if you start talking to your co-workers in the break room and you're like, listen, I gotta tell you about this pump called the Tree of Life.
1: You would think, but as we discussed in our bonus episode, mm-hmm. everyone was really into this occult shit.
0: No, I mean I get that. Maybe just... like
1: tell me more. Let me tell you actually about this chick I'm following who says the universe is gonna end on this day and the whole planet's mm-hmm. gonna eat itself.
0: I like.
1: I think this was just the mood going on. Mm-hmm. But okay, so the reason why it's getting hard is there's all these rules. Like first of all, if you're a man, you are literally not allowed to have a job outside of the cult. You're only allowed to work in the cult.
0: She's girl bossing. She's I guess. girl bossing
1: real hard. Uh, second, if you own a business. You have to turn over ownership of the business to May. Uh, And third, if you have a job, you're only allowed to have like certain jobs, uh, like where May says it's okay for you to work, depending on how important you are in the cult and like what your role is. So if you earn an income of any kind, you got to give it to May because May is in turn going to provide everything you need to live. Uh, she's doing the food, she's doing the shelter, her mom Jenny now is doing all the cooking for the cult.
0: Really she's just uh, an innovator in central planning of the economy.
1: She's got a real centrally planned economy that's for sure. Uh, And in exchange members have to renounce all sources of money from the material world. They got to turn over any cash any paychecks if they are employed to May. And there's this ritual that comes about where new members, especially, but everybody places their money on the ground or their paychecks on the ground, and then May picks it up from the ground. May never touches you. May never takes it from you directly, and this is in part because when May started getting like really reclusive, she got really freaked out about being touched. She didn't want anybody touching her anymore. The only person allowed to touch her was Ruth. Mm-hmm. So this kind of served two purposes: one, May didn't have to touch people because she was really not okay with that, and also it made new cult members view May as divine.
0: Oh, okay. It added
1: this, Mm -hmm. like, separation that kind of, up, like, exalted her to this higher status. So, this ended up being, like, a ritual. This, like, money exchange ritual. But there were all sorts of rituals that May was implementing with her new cult. Uh, They were sometimes made to rub butter on their feet, the cult members. They were all given new names. uh, So, I touched on that a little bit. So... May explained that when Adam and Eve ate from the apple in the Garden of Eden, every human being's heavenly name was stripped away from them. And they were given earthly names. But if you joined the Great Eleven Club, they were calling it at the time, May bestowed followers with their returned heavenly name. So May's name was the North Star. And Ruth's name was the Grand Royal of the Water of the Father's Blood. Um, May also went by a lot of different I, names. I
0: feel like you... Well, you're gonna put Grand Royal of, or I'm sorry, what is it, Grand?
1: Grand Royal of the Water of the Father's Blood.
0: You're putting that on your stationery. You're it's going long. to you're going to the bank. Well, if you if you can have a bank account, you're going to the bank and you're signing that.
1: Yeah, it's and it's, it's c- not it's, pretty, it's cumbersome. It's not great. It's pretty long. I think the Tree of Life was cooler.
0: Yeah. Some
1: chick later got Rainbow. That's a good one.
0: That's nice. Rainbow's
1: nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, May also went by Queen May or the heel of God or just mother.
0: Oh, like the heel of God. This is the thing that Moses sees, right, in Exodus.
1: I don't know. There's you like went a, to Christian school. I don't, I there's don't like know.
0: There's a, a, like a thing where on like the hill where um, Moses wants to see God. And obviously that's no. But um, he
1: shows him his heel? Yeah. Oh. <gasps> That is a wild story. That's in the Bible.
0: That is goofy. It's, it's it's been a long time. The only reason I remember this is that Moses Maimonides, who's a very lovely, you know, you know, late middle ages, Jewish philosopher has a whole thing where he's like, no, listen, this is not real. This is not literal. Do not take this as God has a heel.
1: Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. Foot fetish, God edition. It's very interesting. Um all right so wild but yeah that makes sense why she's called the heel of god because it's mm-hmm. the part of god you're allowed to see because she's the messenger mm-hmm. of god's yeah. vision according to gabriel okay so that makes sense she also made the cult members eat in this really particular way like she's like alfalfa sprouts great to eat maybe a coincidence they're super cheap and she's mm-hmm. the one supposed to feed them maybe apples bad don't eat apples those are the eye of god remember what adam and eve did with the apples from the tree of life mm-hmm. you don't want to do that again don't eat the apples Uh, You're also not allowed to eat walnuts, Hellman's mayonnaise, specifically the brand, or T-bone steaks. Again, might have been economic in motive. Those things were kind of expensive, and she was responsible for paying for everybody's food. So, she's like, actually, eating really nice cuts of meat is forbidden. It's not me that tells you you can't. It's Gabriel told me. Uh, They also had rituals that involved, again, we mentioned this at the beginning of the episode, animal sacrifices, or like group activities in robes, which sounds pretty spooky, or sometimes just, like, naked dancing in the night. And as this is going on in 1924, May marries her fifth husband.
0: She's going through them.
1: She's going through them. This one's a real wild one.
0: Oh. Uh,
1: Yeah, it is her stepbrother, Ward Blackburn.
0: Can we talk... Okay, the... What was it? The extraordinary mustache? How is he described?
1: Um, You know, the mustache is described really interesting. So, the thing about Ward Blackburn, first of all, she names him the North Star of the world, but she had also named herself the North Star, so he's the North Star of the world. Uh, she's 43. He's 23. He's younger mm-hmm. than Ruth. Damn. Yeah. And there, this was never proven, but there were rumors around Portland that Ward was a pedophile. And maybe it's possible may figure that ward would never want a physical relationship with her which was good because she never wanted to be touched mm-hmm. um but again we don't know that he was a pedophile we just know that he was a really weird guy like he did have this mustache he had this long drooping mustache that other it, people thought was really weird it's
0: a i think i described it to you as a reverse hitler
1: yeah the center gone and the sides real long yeah, yeah. Uh, he wore his hair slicked back, which was weird. He had five-inch-long fingernails. And part of me thinks, like, was he actually a pedophile, or is this just a gay man being maligned by his community in the 1920s for being weird or potentially that, queer?
0: That, you, I saw that in your notes when I was like, that...
1: Well, I have a reason why I think okay. that. First of all, he never wanted to touch women. Uh-huh. He wore his fingernails long. He had an effeminate way of dressing. A classmate described him as having many queer traits. Mm -hmm. And that word can be used a lot of ways, but was sometimes used to describe gayness, which is why it was reclaimed by queer people.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And since the Satanic Panic of the 1980s put a lot of gay weirdos in prison by saying that they Mm -hmm. falsely claiming that they were child molesters, and this is something gay people get hit with all the time in society. They're always like, the children, protect the children from the queer people. I am just skeptical when I see rumors that a man who presents femininely and does Mm -hmm. not touch women is a pedophile. You know? I'm like, okay, there's no way for us to know this for certain. But Mm -hmm. when I heard that, I was like, okay, this is an interesting situation. We're not sure. Nobody's sure. There's no proven record. So Mm -hmm. when you hear people talk about this cult, people will just be like, yeah, he was a pedophile. But it's like, we actually don't have evidence of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, up in the air. I'm not saying he was. I'm not saying he wasn't. I'm just saying. I do not. know.
0: I will say, I looked up a picture of this guy, and I was like, this is uh, a choice.
1: He had a very strong aesthetic about him. Yeah. Yes. So, you know, jury's out. He was considered just weird by his community. His community Mm -hmm. was like, we don't know what's going on with this guy. It could be because he's a bad dude, for sure. It could be that he was just being maligned for being weird or presenting feminine or being eccentric. We don't Mm. know. So whatever the case, we do know May married this guy who was way younger than her with the expectation that they would never have to have a physical relationship, and that was good for her. Mm -hmm. In May of that same year, uh, Ruth took her second husband, who was a 17-year-old named Sammy Rizzio. So Ruth at this time is 24, remember? So Mm -hmm. the ward, the stepbrother, is 23. Ruth, 24, older. And Ruth's husband's 17 years old, which is pretty wild. And in July 2024, just a few months after getting married, Sammy started to get really threatened by Ruth's, like, position in the cult. Like, she was pretty high up in the cult, right? She was Mm -hmm. one of the two chosen witnesses. So they exist in this now cult kind of setting, surrounded by these people who are constantly talking about how important Ruth is, and he gets really threatened. They get into this fight, he gets mad, and he gets physically abusive towards her. Mm -hmm. And then leaves the house, storms out of the house. Uh, and everybody who talks about this is like, yeah, he was super emasculated by the relationship. Men in the cult, again, were not permitted to work outside of the cult. Like, he was just stuck there, and it was all about Ruth, and he was very physically violent to her. When he tried to return to the house he shared with Ruth later, May and other cult members refused him entry. They literally barred the door, and they were like, no, absolutely not, you go. And later, when Jenny, Ruth's grandma, talked about this <laughs> man, she was like, yeah, the, basically the first one, fucking dud. Mm-hmm. abusive bad man bad bad man hurt ruthie second man also bad 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 man hurt ruthie like no fuck these men mm-hmm. so ruth never saw sammy again after that the cult was just like uh-uh absolutely not you don't go near her but may went to the cult's druggist they had their own druggist named eleanor she worked in the cult doing drugs to pharmacy stuff for them and she was an early recruit from the initial la days like before they even fled to portland she got kind of in on it and uh, she goes to Eleanor, who's an mm-hmm. early recruit, true believer, and May says, Hey, Gabriel the angel informed me that Sammy needs to die.
0: They're killing Sammy.
1: Yeah. And May is like, You got to give me poison. And Eleanor is like, I cannot give you poison to kill this man. I am so sorry. So, Eleanor was an Ohio native, and she had always been a pharmacist along with her husband, like, since she started working. They operated a drugstore in Cleveland together. Then they moved to Los Angeles and opened a small pharmacy at 4361 South Central Avenue. And this is what she was doing when she had met May forever ago. So, she took her job as a pharmacist seriously. She had been a pharmacist way before she ever knew about the cult of the grade 11. So, she was like, I'm not doing that. So, a month later, May comes back and tells Eleanor... That Sammy doesn't need to actually die. He just needs to die a symbolic ritual death. Not a real death. So she's like, I'm going to sprinkle poison around Sammy as part of a ritual. Can you give me poison to fake kill Sammy? But it has to be real poison or the ritual won't work. And Eleanor, there are theories about what happens here. One theory is that Eleanor actually does give May poison. And then later lies about what she did to cover her tracks. The Mm -hmm. other is that what Eleanor says is 100% true. So what Eleanor says happens is that she gives May chloroform, which is legal. She's Mm -hmm. like, you can get this anywhere, whatever, here's chloroform. But May also is like, I need this illegal, super powerful thing. And Eleanor says she does not give it to her. She just gives her colored water, which she told May was a potent illegal poison. Mm -hmm. So there's a chance Eleanor's telling the truth and this is what she did. There's also a chance Eleanor's lying and she gave me poison and she's just covering her tracks and being like, I didn't do that. There's no way I would have done that illegal thing. I just did the legal part.
0: I feel like this is... Sammy's dying. That's what's going to
1: happen, Well, what happens is uh, Eleanor's husband is like, hey, this is getting really fucked up. Mm -hmm. And May is like, how fucking dare you? And then turns to Eleanor, whose new name is Rainbow, Mm -hmm. and is like, Rainbow you need to leave this man, this man is bad, and you need to marry someone else instead. Someone who's going to be good for you and treat you well. Mm -hmm. And she calls another cult member and she's like, what about this guy? And the guy who comes is like, I'm already married! And she's like, shut the fuck up. Rainbow, Mm -hmm. you're going to divorce this man and you're going to marry this man. This man's a nice man. You're going to marry this man. And Rainbow's like, I don't want to divorce my husband. I like my husband. And the other random guy's like, I would prefer not to marry Rainbow.
0: There's dissension in the ranks. I'm
1: there's there's a little yeah there's a little and it gets really weird and that night eleanor aka rainbow goes to her husband and is like we gotta get the fuck out of here and they get their shit together and they leave before may ever learns what is or is not in the poison vial so may according to herself and other cult members a group of them get in the car with sammy they tell him you you fucked up you need to die a symbolic death this is the story And they drive Sammy to a beach in Santa Monica where they perform a ritual, including sprinkling the fake poison around him, and Sammy yells, I am a dead priest, I am a dead priest, I am a dead priest. And then they banish him from the cult, and they're like, you are symbolically dead, you are never to talk to Ruth again, you must go. And Sammy apparently did write Ruth a letter that was like, the way I treated you was not okay, and you will never see me again. Like, I am so sorry. (laughs) But... While Ruth and the other cult members were told Sammy was living in exile by May, the fact remains that nobody, not even Sammy's family, ever saw him again after that. What do you think? I mean, I'm not going to speculate wildly, but I will tell you that Sammy's family and police were both under the impression that May killed him. Okay. So, that is what people thought happened. Mm -hmm. And this is interesting. This is where we get into the feminist critique. It's like, this is something you would see on, like, Tumblr or Twitter that's like, kill your abuser, or, like, kill all abusers. Mm-hmm. And it's like, at a certain point, Mae was taken out the trash if she killed this guy, right? She's like, mm-hmm. this man hurt my daughter, and I'm getting rid of him. Like, no. And it's just mm-hmm. really interesting because it goes into that, like, kind of, like, pop feminism ideology, how it can be so carceral.
2: Mm-hmm. Like,
1: at what point does someone deserve to die? Who deserves to make that judgment call? How does that kind of vigilante justice idea of, like, kill all abusers, how does mm-hmm. that fit in with like anti-carceral thinking
0: yeah and
1: it is an interesting thing where you like you apply this feminist critique and you're like say she did kill him did he deserve to die he was physically abusive to his partner that's not good
0: that's not great women
1: should not be abused by their partners
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then you're like well who gets to make the decision ruth didn't even make the decision may made the decision for her if she did kill her kill him yeah yeah it's an interesting thing. It's a complicated thing. And these are the questions that come up when you look at the story. This is where I'm like, mm-hmm. these girls are girl bossing very close to the sun. At what point who who first of all, who gets to decide the ethics of the situation?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And like second of all, did they go too far but in the right direction towards justice? Is there malice here? Is there good intention here? Like Mm -hmm. what? It's just a lot. It's a lot that you can assess systemically from this and a lot of questions to ask yourself as you hear Mm -hmm. the story. So this happens. Also that same year, something objectively very bad happens. Mm -hmm. Very, very bad. On Christmas Day, 14-year-old Willa Rhodes, the future queen, Mm -hmm. the high priestess, starts to complain about a sore tooth. Oh, no. And her mother, a Christian scientist who did not believe in medicine, Mm -hmm. began to pray rather than taking her daughter to a doctor. So, this happens Christmas Day. On January 1st, 1925, New Year's Day, Willa died at 640 South Manhattan Place, which was an upscale Wilshire District three-story ten-bedroom house that was used as the cult's front-facing place of operations in L.A., from what was later determined to be an abscess tooth. So at this time, cult members are kind of living all over the place. Like Willa mm-hmm. securing housing for them. Not Willa, sorry. Uh, May is securing housing for them all over. Like some people live in Monrovia. Some people live in Santa mm-hmm. Monica. People are living all over. And they have a bunch of kind of buildings. So this place, South Manhattan Place, 640 South Manhattan Place, it's not where May lives, but it is like a nice building in like mm-hmm. mid-Wilshire that looks good to other people who might want to come join the cult. It looks nice. It looks It's like, like their
0: are... Scientology thing over on Sunset.
1: Yes, but it's a house, but still mm-hmm. it's nice. So basically what happened is Willa's mom, when she complained of a toothache and it started to get bad. Mm-hmm. When she was like, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying, it's not working. She took her daughter to this building and was like, I don't know what to do. I need help. And that's where Willa died.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um. So May told Martha and William, don't worry. Because your daughter's going to be resurrected in 1,260 days when the universe resets. Mm -hmm. So I don't think you should tell the rest of the cult about this. Because it's just going to freak them out. Let's keep it a secret. And let's just preserve Willa's body while we wait for the resurrection to come. And to me, this is interesting. Because this is kind of symbolic. Or like tells me like maybe May actually believes this stuff. Because Willa died of an abscess tooth. So there's... No harm in being like, yeah, Willa died of an abscess tooth and, mm-hmm. you know, take, calling the police or calling the paramedics or whatever. Obviously, the paramedics thing while she was alive would have been bad because her parents were Christian scientists, but, like, May wasn't a Christian scientist.
0: Though, I mean, I do think, right? Willa was supposed to be one of these, like, the
1: future queens. The future
0: queens. And having your fu- one of your future queens die on you probably not good for your prognosticating credibility
1: that's probably true yeah but if you're like well yeah she's dead but she's gonna come back in 1260 days you could just believe that and not have to preserve her body on ice
0: yeah i mean i guess it's just like what are you like presumably people are still gonna be sad in a way that's i, I don't know it's just it, bad
1: vibes it's just bad it's, just ba-
0: it's yeah. bad vibes and so i feel like this is the like you know the thing that people who are way out on a limb do where they have to they have to commit
1: they're committing to the she, bit. yeah okay so uh, they tell everybody other cult members willow went on a trip out of town willow's mm-hmm. out of town for a bit and all the other cult members by everyone's uh Shoot. admission they just believe this they're like yeah of course you went on a trip out of town that's fine
0: farm upstate
1: yeah basically sent her to a farm upstate and martha and william go to work preserving her body. They place her in a bathtub full of ice at 427 North Vermont Street, and this is one of the other addresses they have. This, I believe, is the address, actually, that May is living at at the time, and they replace the ice every single day to prevent decay. They also place flowers over her in the bathtub, and, like, spices. And... Later on, people say this preservation method for the outside of Willa's body works extremely well. Like people are like, "How did you even do this? This is mm-hmm. wild that this works so well." Um, also, May's mother Jenny reportedly once found seven stray puppies in the street, which they named Dorami, Faso, Lati, and gave them to Willa as a present. And the puppies were killed and buried along with Willa's body. So this like very like taking from Egyptian culture. Like, your pets go out with you in the afterlife.
0: Like, a maybe very popularized idea of, like, ancient Egypt. Yes, exactly.
1: That pop culture kind of white American interpretation Mm. of what's happening in ancient Egypt. And they were like, well, the seven puppies also represent the seven tones of the angel gabriel's trumpet jenny later claimed the dogs actually became sick and died of natural causes but later analysis did reveal that the dogs had been poisoned they'd been chloroformed
0: they became sick of poison and died yes Yes. exactly
1: they were sacrificed to be buried along with willa who was called the girl queen that's what they called her the girl queen Mm -hmm. um yeah so
0: they really they they ran out of creativity on her they have just like
1: girl queen girl
0: queen yeah it's fine
1: so, 14 months later, William and Martha moved into a cottage in Venice. May told them to buy this cottage in Venice, and they dug a crawl space under the floor of the cottage, and they brought Willa's body, and they put it in there. Uh, they placed an herbal rub over her skin, and that did act as a preservative for her externally. It did nothing to pre- uh, preserve her internal organs, so they mm-hmm. completely decomposed. But from the outside, she looked perfect. She looked mm-hmm. just like she was still alive and sleeping. She was placed in an open-faced copper-lined coffin, along with another coffin containing the puppies beneath the floor of the Venice Cottage. She was reportedly removed from time to time, uh, p- placed in the back seat of a car and driven around Los Angeles, but it's unclear if the reports of this in the media later on that emerged were just referring to the act of them moving her body from South Manhattan Place to Vermont Street, and then from Vermont Street to Venice, or if there was some other ritual involving her body, but I think probably they're just referring to them relocating her.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so, yeah, that was very, very sad. But she is thought to have died of natural causes. And mm-hmm. this must have just been really hard for her family to not let go of her. Mm-hmm. So, as somebody who's lost somebody suddenly, I understand that impulse. To be like, no, yeah. no, no, she's not really dead. It's like the denial yeah. thing. Like, she's going to come back. It's going to be fine. So this happens. It's, we're starting to see some problems emerge. But 1926 to 1927, we see a huge period of growth and expansion for the cult because the cult encounters a man named Clifford Dabney. So Clifford Dabney is the nephew of an oil dude, and he's got money. And he really likes May. He meets May. He's charmed by her. And May's like, I'm promising you eternal life. What's not to love, right? So he gives May a huge loan to help fund operations for the cult and also gives some cash up front that's just like no strings attached. You don't have to pay this back. And this is supposed to allow him and his wife, Alice, concords. That's what May uses as this term to mean all sorts of things. It can be a special title bestowed upon somebody. It can be like an act, a ritual you do to make Gabriel happy. Um, And this is all come up with, she says, by the voices she hears in her head. Mm -hmm. So, in return for this huge donation, uh, May promises that Clifford gets to see her book, right? The Great Sixth Seal before anybody else ahead of publication and clifford ends up financing the purchase of 164 acres of land in simi valley in ventura county and basically what had happened is it had been kind of hard for may to keep track of all the cult members because remember she was just like putting them up in houses all over like somewhere Mm -hmm. in monrovia somewhere in santa monica you got some over in venice so she's like we got to get everybody together this is too hard to manage so clifford finances the purchase of all this land And the land ends up getting divvied up into 40 foot by 60 foot parcels for cult members to build their own cabins. But, this property has no electricity, no running water, there's no road for a really long time. They have to build their own road. It's really hard to even get supplies. It's nearly uninhabitable. Uh, They have to hike, like, miles just to get basic survival needs met. Even to get construction supplies in, they gotta hike with construction supplies to build these cabins. And this compound ends up getting called The Work. Some people called it Harmony Hamlet, but you know, May and Ruth referred to it as the work. And May, along with her stepbrother husband, Ward, lead the cult members kind of on this property. They don't live there, but they mm-hmm. go there and they lead and they administer to them there. They also built a temple there with this, like, really elaborately gilded throne that was reserved for Jesus Christ when he returned. So they built him this huge throne. And cult members there were compelled to work at this nearby tomato packing house that I mentioned earlier. Uh, not the men just the women and then they turned over their pay you know to may and her husband as part of that whole arrangement where it's like you give me your money and i just take care of everything centrally planned may economy yeah so in the evenings these rituals continue they're still doing the roped members gathering uh they're still doing animal sacrifice uh sacrificing sometimes they're sacrificing mules which they refer to as the jaws of death uh, sometimes they're still doing the rituals where they're dancing in the nude, which is way better to do on this property they have of all of this land, so they don't have neighbors complaining so much. They still have neighbors complaining about uh-huh. like people being weird. It's not so bad. And on the property, they also build high on a hill, like a brick oven, but like a giant brick oven. And something really bad happens with this brick oven. Yeah,
0: it was like this. This feels like a Chekhov's gun situation. You have put.
1: It's, it's no. not great. it's not great. They have uh, one cult member named Francis Turner. She's 30 years old. she's from Monterey Park. She was a paralyzed woman and she was murdered in this oven. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jenny later claimed that they put her there so she could get warm. Some other people in the cult were like, well, the warmth of the oven was going to cure her of a blood malady and uh, they put her in the oven for two days and mm-hmm. she died. She did die uh, and it was really 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 bad really sad. Mm-hmm. Uh, Horrible. So meanwhile, while all this is happening and they're setting up the work, this land, and it's getting bad. Uh, May is staying in her own home off of the property where she's got running water and electricity and all the amenities she needs. And that's at that 427 North Vermont address. It was a really big house and people sometimes described it as being pretentious. Like it was mm-hmm. tacky and big. It was too much. Uh, May's mother, Jenny, also lived at that property. And at one point, Uh, Reported, Jenny reported this herself that her daughter May heard from the angel Gabriel that she, Jenny, needed to be padlocked to the bed at 427 North Vermont for 75 days. So Jenny was like, Yep, I trust my daughter because she's hearing the voice of God. So at this point, we really see like Jenny believes her daughter Mm -hmm. and she's like a true believer. And she's like, Honestly, being chained to that bed for 75 days were the happiest days in my life. And it was awesome because the angels came to me and spoke to me there. So I talked to angels all day long. So this is like another time we kind of see alluding to this like potential for a genetic predisposition. Yeah, I mean, like your gas
0: leak theory. I'm like, I. But
1: now they're in a different location, so there can't just
0: be gas leaks all over LA like this. And I guess uh, Portland. Oh, okay. uh,
1: Yeah, probably not. Probably not. Probably not. Probably not. So I don't know. Whatever's going on here. It's happening with all the women in this family. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe it is that they're just evil criminal masterminds. But uh, people who interact with them are like, I think these people will actually believe this. Mm -hmm. And it's true crime kind of writers later who are like, no, they're malicious, evil, vindictive women trying to harm men. Ah! Also, Mm -hmm. the daughter was really hot. And I'm like, okay. You know, there's, whatever. There's a lot of narratives, and Mm -hmm. we'll never know the truth. But these are kind of the opinions floating around and i do see a lot of things where i'm like these people are all kind of having the same experiences with delusion whatever so it's Mm. interesting so um yeah this happens we've got the 75 days that may is locked up she's like don't even worry it's totally fine i love it i'm talking to angels and you know meanwhile May is, oh, Jenny was locked up, sorry. May is going back to the property in Simi Valley pretty often to perform the rituals with everybody else who's kind of there. So in 1927, Clifford, Clifford Dabney, the guy who made this all financially possible, bought the land, blah, 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 tells May, hey, you need to make the grade 11 an incorporated business. You got way too much risk here. I'm a business guy. This needs to be a business. It's going to make us easier for us to pay taxes buy property and run businesses as subsidiaries so clifford proceeds to incorporate the cult and names himself as the president
0: you know uh this is a story as old as time a woman starts up a business
1: and it's taken from her by yeah. no 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 he's just like the president but i think she's still like the the big the big owner <laughs> of the cult. yeah so he's also meanwhile kind of getting desperate Because he's like, hey, it's kind of, like, been a few years, and you know how you were going to make me an eternal being, and I've, like, given you all this money?
0: There were diamonds in Bakersfield. Right. What's the, where?
1: Like, what's, do you have, can you just let me in on some of those secrets that Gabriel's telling you about the wealth and the eternal Mm -hmm. life, maybe? Uh, And every time he brought this up, May would just, like, go into a fit of rage she was just like I can't fucking control it like that Clifford like Jesus what do you want from me and then Clifford would be like well maybe I should just take my money elsewhere and May would literally be like okay fine then you're never getting the information and you know what you're not gonna live forever and you know who else isn't gonna live forever your wife you're both gonna die and then Clifford would be like oh fuck okay never mind never mind I'm all in I'm all in I'm all in so Mm -hmm. this happened for a while until eventually clifford gets to a point where his he's got to fix his car he's got to do some car work and he goes to pay the bill and it's bouncing
0: oh his check bounces
1: his check bounces may has bled him dry he's given all of his money to Mm -hmm. this cult he was broke the only money he still has is this oil lease which basically gives him a really comfortable monthly income but nowhere near the affluent lifestyle to which he would become accustomed right He realizes at this point he's given everything he ever had to May Otis Blackburn, right? Which is an approximate total of $50,000, which would be worth a little under a million dollars in today's money. Mm -hmm. So Clifford resigns as president of the corporation and uh, is like, I'm keeping my oil lease to myself because this is all I can to provide for me and my wife. we got to live off this oil lease. And they're like, we're leaving the cult. But May drags them back in. And it's just like, "Uh uh-uh you're gonna learn the secret to eternal life my friend and i know you want it so they're they're in still they can't Mm -hmm. leave even if he wants to in january of 1928 uh we start to see kind of the decline of the cult okay Mm -hmm. may summons clifford and his wife alice to her and is like this last money you have this oil lease you're gonna sign that over to me that's mine now too Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and he's like no i'm absolutely not doing that and she says if you refuse, death will surely come unto you. And then she turns to Alice and says, "And perhaps you too, dear." This so, feels
0: like I'm sorry, right? Like this, this is a quote from. This a, is a
1: quote. This okay. is a quote.
0: Look, I I think the question of belief is maybe not the most interesting question so much no. as, but like that's a threat. Like she's but acting like a This mob is a threat,
1: right? It's got to be a boss. threat. It has to be a threat. Um, and at this point, the deaths that have happened that we know about, Willa, but she died mm. of a toothache.
0: Yeah, a I tube, mean, like, there's only like, an
1: abscess. There's... But then there's the woman who was killed in the oven, which mm-hmm. cult members did say that was an accident.
0: It, yeah, and I get, like, I'm but not... But
1: Sammy disappeared. I Yeah. And he is abusive. He's a bad dude. But this is what we know so far. So at mm-hmm. this point, everybody at the cult is like, yes, some people disappeared, but there's reasons for all of it. And they don't know about Willa. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, the one woman who died—that was an accident. We all were to blame for that, and we fucked up. And that was an accident. And you know, the Sammy—who knows? But he was bad, and we're glad he's gone. Mm-hmm. So when May says this, "If you don't give me this money, I'm confident you'll die," mm-hmm. they're kind of like, "Are you are you threatening me?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Or are you just telling me that I'm not going to get eternal life?" if I am not a member of the cult anymore and that I won't be an occult member anymore. If I'm not doing the thing I was supposed to do, which is give you all my money. Like Jesus said to in the Bible. So yeah. it's still a gray area for these people.
2: Okay. So these, they, they're not uh-huh. quite,
1: you know, they're not quite sure. And Clifford is like, okay. And does sign over the lease. He gives it to me, his last source of income. Mm-hmm. But a few months later in March, Clifford and a few other members create an offshoot of the great 11. They make a new,
0: the great 12.
1: It's called the divine science of Joshua is what it's called, but they do incorporate it. Cause he's uh. the business guy. He's like, we're incorporating it. And this is maybe in an effort to distance themselves from may. He's mm-hmm. still a true believer, but he's like, I don't want to deal with may so much anymore. And may actually has no choice, but to publicly accept this new offshoot branch and be like, Oh my God, this is awesome. Yes. Uh, Gabriel actually wanted you to do this. This is so cool because she's like, if I say otherwise, it, then it's like sowing discord and it's going to fuel rebellion.
0: And it also is sort of like, right, you can't be like a prophet and then not see something coming.
1: Right. So you got to be like, yes, I was in on this all along. Uh, now, at its peak around 1928, the Divine Order of the Royal Arms of the Great 11 had around 100 devoted members. There were other people mm-hmm. who were maybe tangentially related. Like, there are some stories you'll read where, uh, like, neighbors of some of the properties maybe knew that there was cult activity going on in these mm-hmm. properties and like kind of like tipped them off when like cops would come around or like things would get weird we don't mm-hmm. know those would be like sympathizers maybe or
0: maybe they're just like you know being
1: neighborly they're
0: being neighborly and they're like hey man we like they would do that for we're in the 20s
2: yeah're
0: you know prohibitions going on they're like, you know, one of our neighbors is doing moonshine, one of our neighbors is doing nude dancing. And
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. It's,
0: well, it's with, with not our business, yeah. yeah.
1: So we do know they had around a uh, 100 devoted members in the cult of grade 11, which is a lot of people mm-hmm. for May to manage. That's a lot of people. Uh, and by 1929, a year later, these 100 members are starting to get a little antsy. They're getting a little unhappy. First of all, they've been promised eternal life by May and the great Six seal, like, four years ago, some of them. Mm-hmm. And this book is... Not getting written. They also notice, like, May is living in a really big, nice house, and we're living on this weird land we had to build ourselves in Simi Valley in conditions that for a while were hardly better than camping. Like, originally, they literally were just living Mm -hmm. in tents until they built more permanent structures.
0: Do they have running water yet?
1: Yeah, I think they start to get running water, yeah. More and more, though, the members of the cult start to to turn to that new thought movement for guidance. Mm -hmm. They're like, the spiritual stuff's not super fulfilling. So they go to like other tangentially related, but like more prominent kind of occultist offshoot, culty <laughs> things. Um, they,
0: they want like cult light.
1: They want cult light. Basically, May's way of doing things was just like a bunch of metaphysical gibberish to them that none of them understood. And it was getting too culty. And they were like, we need something a little more tangible and concrete. And May was getting weird, like even weirder than usual. Mm-hmm. So. 1929, something happens with one of the cult members, Merritt Woodall, 24 years old, a.k.a. the King of Peace. Remember, they all get the names. The King of Peace. He was a really well-liked member of the cult. Uh, So well-liked, in fact, that that early cult member, one of the first people to join, Jenny Toy, had started confiding in him about her frustrations with May. Mm-hmm. She was like, I don't really know what's going on. Everybody was kind of confiding in him. Everyone liked him. His parents were also members of the cult. And his job was to help drive May around when the other guy wasn't available mm-hmm. to. So he called her mother. He was devoted. That was one of the names May used, you know. And one day he shows up to join drive her around. And May is like, hey, just want you to know I talked to Gabriel and i've got a concord she called it right mm-hmm. a ritual we have to do and it involves you uh and i have to shoot you and uh-huh. he was like what mother what hmm? Huh? Hmm? and keep in mind he's been hearing other people in the cult be like i don't know may's on some shit so when may comes to him is like yeah yeah gabriel said i have to shoot you he's like i don't want that no no thank you and she's like don't shh, it's okay it's just uh-huh. in the foot you're gonna be fine it's just in the foot we just have to do it and he's like do do we do we uh-huh. have to and she's like yeah but you know what i care about you so much before we shoot you in the foot you're gonna drive me around to some drugstore so we can get bandages and supplies to heal you up afterwards so
0: Uh uh-huh drive
1: me and ruth ruth here ruth's gonna be the one who does it
0: that's a that's a real messy errand having to go get your own bandages for a future shooting
1: right i thought that was so disrespectful i'm like like, there is like i'm sorry
0: you get the bandages for
1: it yeah if you're gonna shoot me i'm not gonna buy my own bandages what so may is like you know i'm not gonna be the one to shoot you because i i'm the heel of god i can't do that but Mm -hmm. ruth can and then he looks over at Ruth and was just like, hey, what's up? Yeah, smiling. Just like, yep, yeah, I'm uh-huh. ready. Let's go. I'm going to shoot you in the foot, my guy. So they get in the car. All together, three of them, they go, they get bandages, and then they drive out to Simi Valley, and they do this ritual, and it goes really, really fast, and yeah, Ruth shoots him in the foot. Yeah.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Uh-huh. And at this point, they're referring to her by a different name. They're calling her the Order of the Purple Robes. So maybe her name changed because last one was Presumably, too
0: Presumably, yeah, she, like, tried to sign her name on an official document. Like, this is long. this is messed up.
1: It's got to get shorter. But also, there is a lot of, like, misreporting. Like, there are people, it, there's not a ton of information about this. So it's possible some people got parts wrong. But this is where mm-hmm. we start to see her being reported as being this name. So, Ruth goes to shoot him. She doesn't do a very good job. And she shoots him in the heel. Mm-hmm. Uh but everybody's like that seems perfect because the heel of god shot him in the heel yeah and mm-hmm. may's like yep that's what was supposed to happen we did it so after the shooting he the king of peace goes to jenny toy and is like yeah fuck this you were right this is bad mm-hmm. and he starts doing little bits of rebellion for example may said they're not allowed to eat fish so when he's out in the world on his own you know what he does he eats fish
0: He's going to Malibu Seafood.
1: Yep. So this is major because the cult's members are like, yeah. uh-uh, I'm not down with this. Another thing uh, that happened that people were like, what the fuck? Uh, 1929, same year, May orders William Rhodes, the dad of Willa, to take what he calls a body-shaped box up to Black Bear Lake and bury it in the summertime. Uh-huh. And William at this point is like, what the fuck? But he's terrified of May. He's like, I don't know what to do. So he just does it. He's just like, <laughs> okay so so, uh, someone might have been in there he has no fucking clue and he's like all right and this just shows this huge disconnect growing between may and the cult members they're like what there's also this like really horrifying story about a horse named victory being killed in a ritual where they were trying to find gold in the hills and it was like an accidental death and then may had to play it off like that's what was supposed to happen the whole time she's like yeah that's what was supposed to happen and they're like if that's what's supposed to happen why didn't we find the gold Um. and may's like it's just slower it's, it's just a uh, slower problem. We just got to wait now.
0: It, uh, I would have gone with, you know, the gold was in your heart all along. <laughs> yeah. This is meta, like.
1: You thought I meant real gold? You no. fools, you idiots. No.
0: It was the journey that was the gold.
1: Yes, the friends we made along the way. Yeah. Uh, another really bizarre one is May starts doing this ritual where she's tapping people on the head with a hammer and rubbing cheese behind their ears. And everyone's like, what the fuck is this? And it's so weird that one of the cult members separate from this just goes around walking around town eating watermelon while holding an umbrella over his head but it's not raining and everyone's, everyone else in the cult is like, Mae's got you doing another weird thing, right? And he's like, no, I just like the umbrella and I'm eating watermelon. What? And everyone's like, really? Oh, you so swore that was like a weird ear cheese thing or something. So it's just getting weird the and The weirdness is getting
0: contagious apparently. People are just like...
1: People are just kind of tripping out. Yeah. And everyone's like, I do not know what's going on. So that same summer, summer of 1929, Clifford's uncle approaches him and is like, "Look, mm-hmm. family, real worried. We know you're sucked into a cult." And Clifford's like, "It's not a cult. It's real. It has to be real because I gave all my money. And so it's it has incorporated to be
0: real. Now.
1: It's a business, yes." And he's like, "It has to be real because I can't be that stupid." And mm-hmm. the uncle is like, you "I are. will give you so much money mm-hmm. if you promise to never talk to these people again." Please, I will give you and your wife money. You can leave. You can just never, just please stop this. It's not going to get better. Just leave. And he offers them so much money that, yes, that July, Clifford and Alice accept the offer, and they finally remove themselves from the cult. And as soon as they leave, they file fraud charges against Mayotis Blackburn for a total of $200,000, or roughly $3.1 million in today's money, which launches officially a full investigation of the cult of the great 11. Mm-hmm. So 1930 and beyond the investigation, and the aftermath at first police have a really hard time proving anything actually happened that was bad. But on October 1st, they receive an anonymous phone call to look into the death of Frances Turner, the woman who died inside of the oven on the Hill may claimed She died of a choking spell, um, but the police were like, that doesn't seem right. And another anonymous caller told them to look into the death of Willa Rhodes as well so as the investigation was underway police found the body of willow Rhodes beneath the floor at the Rhodes family's venice cottage and captain bw thomason of the police bunco squad i don't know that's like what they call the squad looking mm-hmm. he voiced a theory that what if willow was sacrificed in the operation of the cult but nobody could really determine that was real nobody true mm-hmm. but there were a lot of news stories that ran there were like potential human sacrifice question mark and most people were like no, she definitely died of like an abscess tooth, you know. Mm-hmm. So she did, probably didn't have to die. She could have just had the abscess drained. Yeah. But because of the Christian science thing, no. Uh, other rumors of disappearances and deaths started to come out. Once people started hearing that like the police mm-hmm. were looking at them, you had family members all over the country reaching out, being like, hey, like I had these family members join the cult of the grade 11 mm-hmm. years ago and we haven't heard from them yet. And at first the police were like, okay, this means they've been killing a lot of people. But Mm -hmm. this kind of goes weird too, like, Sammy Rizzio, for example, was never found, Mm -hmm. and his mom started contacting the police, like, hardcore, because originally Mm -hmm. the cult of the grade 11 had, like, threatened his mom to be like, don't come around here, don't ask about your son, but she actually lost her husband to, like, I think, like, a shooting, maybe, in Chicago, and she was like, I have no family left anymore, like, I have nothing to live for, like, I don't Mm -hmm. care, you can threaten me all you want, like... I'm talking to the cops. So she goes and talks to the cops. And she's like, my son is missing still. I think he's still alive. I just feel it in my heart. He's still alive. But they've done something to him. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sammy Rizzio's younger brother actually went undercover in the cult to serve as May's driver to try to investigate what happened to his brother. But he couldn't find anything. Around the same time, police did find a body with ritualistic geometric cuts all over it near a chicken coop they call it like the chicken coop body kind of in the area and they felt like maybe this could have been the work of the great 11 but they couldn't prove it nothing Mm -hmm. really came out of that uh some people who claimed that their family members were missing they actually ended up finding their family members and they're like no these people just they left the cult and And they moved away and they just aren't talking to you like we found Mm -hmm. them they're alive there were people like addie mcguffin who was somebody who was missing uh during the cult but they couldn't find any evidence Addie McGuffin had been killed. They couldn't mm-hmm. find him alive, but they couldn't find him anywhere, really. And other people that they looked into, they did find alive. So they're like, okay, this we're mm-hmm. not really able to figure out what happened here. Were people killed? You know, we know that one woman was killed in the oven, but that seems to have been an accident. Like, mm-hmm. we don't really understand what's happening here. It's There's the potential here that a lot of people were killed. There's I mean, the potential that nobody was.
0: There's that saying, which I am having to hold on to a lot which is never attribute to malice what you can attribute to incompetence or whatever yes and this feels like it definitely seems like these are not good people
1: Mm. yeah
0: i is like it the question of belief seems sort of beside the point to me where i'm just like i don't give I don't give a shit if they believed this or not. Right. They suck.
2: Yeah, Um.
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah, well, of the 15 charges that were officially laid out against May, she was convicted of eight counts of grand theft in 1930. Mm -hmm. That's what they kind of got her on. And she ultimately was sentenced to 14 years in prison for every single count. Oh. So her attorneys immediately launched an appeal, and in 1931, the California Supreme Court overturned the conviction against May Otis Blackburn. So the ruling claims that the evidence used in her conviction failed to establish that May knew she was defrauding members of her cult. So from a legal standpoint, whether she knew she was lying Mm -hmm. or not did become really important. Because it's like the same thing that happened with, um, God, that chick from the tech company that just happened.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where
1: they're like, no, we literally can't figure out if you're just capitalisming really well Mm -hmm. or like if you were lying. So like if you were lying... If you knew what you were saying was fake, it's then fraud. you defrauded people. But if you believed it, really, you mm. just capitalismed and it failed. And we can't get you on that, which just, is just to me like proof of how messed up this whole system is. Oh, I, th- system.
0: I thought you were just giving everyone like a really nice lesson, which is when you decide to do fraud, commit to the bit. Commit to, to the, the, the bit. End.
1: Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. So they couldn't prove she didn't actually believe she was hearing the voice of God, basically. And they really went further and declared that May's victims were of sound mind when they accepted her teachings, and they all gave her their money willingly. Uh, Which is interesting, because you see that a lot in, like, cult cases. And Mm -hmm. it's one of those things that I think is really hard for people to, like... Well, there's so much wrong with our criminal justice system. It's, like, such a shit show, right? But it's, Mm -hmm. like, what justice do you even get for this? Because it is hard like how do you explain manipulation like where does manipulation start and end like yeah maybe these people like gave her their money willingly but like they were manipulated into it and
0: uh, yeah I it's mean, like a
1: weird it's just like this case just like brings up so many questions about like systemic failing and like systems and structures in place
0: and i i think uh you know my uh, Dumb knee-jerk reaction is like, well, you just do restorative shit. Like it's yeah. just like you just make sure help the victims. You make sure everyone, and you probably do something to keep Mae from stealing more people's shit or locking people in chicken coops or right or potentially.
1: Or we don't know what happens. Yeah, well, okay, she was exonerated legally, but the trial was really public at the time, and because she had been convicted the first time, she wasn't ever able to really amass a following again. Everybody mm-hmm. was like, no, you're. Freaky. In 1936, she did finally publish a book. It was oh. called The Origin of God, and it did not do well. The LA Times called it the quote, most bewildering hodgepodge of mythological references that possibly has ever been gathered together. Uh, there was something in it about like there's four kinds of flesh, and everyone is always nine years old, and when we turn 10, we turn back to one. It was very confusing. And it also said that God was, according to her, a created being with finite powers who existed because of the intersection of four points at the universe's center, which created a sentient vortex. And that was God. And it just didn't really catch Mm -hmm. on. So she kept trying to do her metaphysical teachings, her spiritual teachings. It didn't land. And in 1951, May Otis Blackburn died in Los Angeles. And Mm -hmm. her daughter Ruth died... uh, 27 years later in
0: 1978 oh geez do you so, know where
1: huh.
0: i don't know somehow 1978 like we're in like a time that i can imagine as being relatively close to me where i'm just like oh there were like people around and movies were in color and
1: yeah, like, <laughs> yeah talking
0: <laughs> happened
1: <laughs> talking happened yeah yeah i think like the most interesting thing about all this i had a bunch of questions now so i'm mm-hmm. like story of a woman scorned by patriarchy trying to survive in a world with few options available to women other than to marry and subjugate themselves to a man. Because if you think about every single kind of relationship that May Mm -hmm. or Ruth entered into with a man, they were bad. Yeah. They were bad relationships. Ruth was abused by every man that she was with except for the one really nice guy who didn't abuse her, right? That Mm -hmm. she took out the loan from. Uh, Is it the story of... I mean like yeah, but she yeah, yeah. He was the victim in that one. Um, Is it the story of evil women manipulating everyone they interact with because they're psychopathic villains without empathy or a shred of decency or concern for other people? Is it a story of tragic delusions passed along a family line from mother to daughter?
0: I I hesitate to say to say that it is really any of those all the way.
1: That's what I came up with, too. I mm-hmm. think it's probably a combination of all three. Like, I said it's potentially women who are predisposed for certain psychological conditions, limited in options due to the confines of patriarchy, tired of relying on abusive mm-hmm. violent men to earn their living and achieve financial stability, who go so far that maybe they do lose empathy for all people around them and just kind of become assholes.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm like, I am thinking of, I don't I, like the the patriarchy thing. I'm sort of like this would have been roughly around the time that like Jane Adams was you know opening whole house. Like there were sort of like really structural liberatory gestures at the same time that weren't. We start a cult.
1: Yeah, I don't know though because like mm-hmm. even like my mom's age, people my mm-hmm. mom's age. I mean, even people our age, I know. Mm-hmm have stayed in relationships women especially uh, especially if they have kids no because i Because the brunt of child care still falls on women so i could definitely see feeling financially stuck as a woman even now so especially mm-hmm. you know 100 years ago oh
0: no i'm not suggesting no i'm just sort of like there are this is not the only like
1: no, I think I'm going to say the only option for women <laughs> is to start a cult and steal money from men. I
0: If you want the mansion in ho- on Hollywood and all the diamonds and, and the 11, 11 concubines, husbands,
1: yeah. that, uh,
0: that might in fact be your only
1: option. That might be the only
0: option.
1: Uh, um, well, okay, so one thing I kept coming back to is like what a motivating factor money is in society, especially when you have a society that's so dedicated to a competitive idea of like scarcity and resource hoarding. And how so many of the bad things in general we see people do to each other are motivated in part by the pursuit of financial security. Like, we see mm-hmm. that, like, crime, quote-unquote, in general, like, when you look at, like, non-carceral ways to address crime, like, transformative justice, it's, like, we will solve the conditions in society that make people feel like they have no option but to commit crime. Because, really, mm-hmm. committing crime is inconvenient and hard. Like, running a cult and defrauding people, that's a lot the, of work. I
0: mean, these, uh, May and Ruth... Yeah. S- Ruth seems somewhat uh, a sidekick here. Um, May has a, a quite baroque capacity for a very specific kind of storytelling.
1: Yes, that's uh,
0: true. I think that might be a generous way of putting that. It is very generous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And the impression I get is uh, y- you know, they say if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life.
1: And you think May was loving this.
0: I get that. I mean, she... You cannot do shit that elaborate and not be t- taking a little bit of, like, weird pleasure. The butter, the cheese...
1: Yeah, the butter and the cheese was real weird. Right? That's like this That's, is... like, sadistic at a certain point.
0: Yeah, well, no, it's no not that's a, true. A, a sadism... Imagine if you... I don't know. For a certain kind of person, just, like, being like, the, these assholes, they're so fucking gullible put put butter on your feet.
2: <laughs> uh,
1: I think like okay, so I don't I don't think that I don't think like you could just like be excused from being an asshole because life is hard, but I think it is important to provide like a systemic lens through which mm-hmm. to view weird things like this that happen rather than the traditional true crime model for example Mm. that's like oh no some people are so bad they're born evil Ooh, thank god we have the good good cops to save us from the evil evil bad people trying to hurt each other so it's like how do you like counter that narrative when you look at something like this that happens and you're like this is like such a reflection to me of like capitalism and patriarchy that Mm. this even happened like this is whether we like it or not the byproduct of a society that prizes ruthlessness and selfishness and offers little opportunity for community care like no resources for example for women who are abused by their partner very limited resources right like ruth and may both were or for single mothers looking for options like may was like it becomes impossible Mm -hmm. to judge people from this like individual morality standpoint when you get to that point because you're like yes you made bad decisions but Mm -hmm. like the way to control for that is to create a society where like you don't have to make weird fucked up bad decisions like that yeah no
0: i mean that's certainly the case and i like you know i think i think you can do two things at once right like you can have a kind of hindsight you know jocularity about this shit because it's the people are being putting butter on their feet
1: right but people are also dying potentially a lot of people are dying we don't know Um, how many
0: people and um and be like some of the shit the like not writing a book over and over for years yeah um is legitimately quite funny
1: that is funny i wrote a book Um, in one year it's
0: it i mean it's just it, it feels like the bizarro world version of like a lot of stereotypes that we have about like frustrated authors who tell you about their book but don't actually do it mm-hmm. um while while recognizing that it seems like may blackburn from the story you've told me went out on a limb in which she you know i i can't speculate and so i won't about her mental state
1: right yeah we can't yeah. we can't speculate.
0: Um, but, right, it does seem to me as though there's a little bit of a, like, you know, you kind of got to commit, which means that you're sort of always upping the ante. And the circumstances, yeah. um, that make you, that force you to up the amp- ante and, like, a like, you know, really unjust world. And especially, like, you see why at every step she has to up the ante and so it becomes like a kind of like tragedy and farce in one where you're just sort of like okay
1: yeah no that's totally true yeah that's what committing to the bit is upping the ante
0: yeah Um,
2: yeah
1: i think like yeah the so the thing i think about is like separating circumstance from agency Mm -hmm. you know because like When you're, like, oh, you see the situations that force her to up the ante, it's, like, that's, like, an interesting intersection of, like, agency and circumstance. Yeah. Um, and, like, I think there's certain, I I think it just really showcases how most things are and both, not either or. Like, for Mm -hmm. example, like, okay, is, at what point is your mom murdering your abuser, like, when May possibly killed Sammy for abusing her daughter, like, mm. carceral vigilantism versus, like, community justice. Like, sometimes you do bad shit, your community gets mad at you, and they take you out. I'm gonna and go it's, like, it's it. kind I... of, like, it's it's neither and both at the same time, you know? It's not an either-or. Like, it's not mm. either of those things. It's a little bit of both, and, like, that is why life is difficult.
0: I, uh, hmm. This is me making grumpy sounds because I'm sort of like, I don't, I just can't get behind you killed someone Is ever going to be just- that's just uh-huh. not where I, I, I live. You don't uh, think
1: killing somebody is ever just?
0: Generally speaking, no. Okay. Right. right. Like I think it can be many other kinds of things, but my no, because my notions of justice are about restorative and right. transformative types, rather than punishing. I'm just sort of like I don't know what that restores and or. Makes better, in, right. right? Like, I'm just like, that doesn't seem well. That's
1: why it's like it's carceral, it's like fi- final, it's like yeah. you are punished in a final way, it is death penalty imposed <laughs> on you. But then again, you see people who are like, Yeah, kill all abusers, I don't give a fuck, and that's like a really popular, like, left leaning opinion to have.
0: I, yeah, I mean, I think th- I understand that that is an opinion that people, <laughs> um...
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and
0: i'm just sort of like i just i'm not gonna like i feel like it's gonna be you're never going to hear me say like wow i really loved the killing
1: (laughs) i won't hear you say that i'm so shocked Uh, (laughs) wow i really loved the killing okay what about this at what point is a poor single mother just trying to survive by bilking rich men out of their money dishonest and evil or just resource redistribution
0: Famously, my poor—well, not famously to you. <laughs> uh, my my a now deceased grandma Linda was a bee girl uh-huh. in New Orleans, uh, who would uh, let's say bilk men out of their money by getting what were called bee drinks, uh, which were drinks where she had a deal with the bartender. Uh, where the drinks didn't have any alcohol in them, so she could remain sober. Um, but also they would split the money from the alcohol that the man had purchased.
2: Ah!
0: Um, she used to tell a story about, um, she would get them really wasted, be like, oh my god, I'm gonna, uh, make you breakfast, we have, but we have to go to the grocery store, and she'd get them to buy her a week's worth of groceries, and she had a doorman in her building to have them walk the groceries to her door give them a kiss goodbye and wish them a lovely day
1: wow um
0: so right like i am very sympathetic
1: yes. to that mm-hmm. as a, to the bilking
0: i i uh, you know so in
1: your family heritage
0: i loved my grandma very much yeah. um i this seems
1: like a the this,
0: uh, shoot this, uh, may went a little far
1: they went a little far okay okay uh, i have a third one for you to consider at what point is Ruth a malicious heartbreaker for taking money from all of these suitors versus just a broke girl trying to survive?
0: You keep... I feel like you're posing these weird either-ors and I'm I just like, oh, I come there's on, what no, the... there's
1: no either-or. And either you or, have
0: already said know, it is... I know, bo- I know,
1: I know. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, May and Ruth aren't heroes. They're also not even, like, anti-heroes because there's nothing relatable about them. Like you said, like I'm never going to be like, uh, the killing was awesome. Like, I cannot imagine a circumstance where in... I, in my life, in any capacity, shoot a guy in the heel and kill a horse no matter what's going on in my life. Like, I just, Mm -hmm. I can't imagine getting to that point. Um, And that's, that's the personal. That's, you view it as an individual and you're like, what the fuck? Like, Mm -hmm. how did this even happen? But when you view them, rather than viewing them as, like, individual rights or incidents, right, you view them as something that doesn't happen in a vacuum and you view them as, like, a byproduct of greater social and political issues, which, like, we talked about in our bonus episode, like, Mm What was going on at the time that made everybody so apt to, like, fall into occultism or Mm -hmm. join cults or want to search for meaning? And you view that as, like, yeah, a byproduct of, like, war that had just happened or, Mm -hmm. you know, capitalism failing in all these major ways. And And,
0: like, you know, going through, like, periodic crises, there had been, you know... We started this in the late nineteenth century, and there had been a series of depressions in the late nineteenth century um, and in the early twentieth century before World War One.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, and it, it stories like this all like f- at least for me, and I know cults happen elsewhere, but they do feel very of a kind of like this like kind of derangement that I feel like is very familiar to me from having lived on the west coast okay my my whole life okay um and this like really really this sense that like the kind of seams of like the social contract are like beginning to like pull apart um so that there is this really intense sense of anomie or alienation in which you're sort of like you can't really have, like, a stable sort of, like, ideological or community structure um, when everything feels quite uh, transitional. And, like, that seems to be... Every step of the way, I was like, wow, this feels real transitional. No one's ever just like, damn, why don't we chill for a while? Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, that's the up-the-ante thing you were talking about.
0: Yeah, but it's just, like, right... It's very
1: growth-oriented, just like capitalism.
0: Even when they're in Portland, which was, a like, a logging boom town and, like, a shipping port at the time, and a lot of these cities were sort of springing up kind of overnight and, like, from, like, very small places to very, like, giant... Like, L.A. was like this. It was a very small place up until essentially the beginning of the 20th century. Um and so you have these places that have like no history to them. Yeah. Or like Well
1: the history's not ours. The, the history, history is not, not of the victor, victors.
0: Yeah, and like the history has like been like largely alighted. So right. Mhm. I I always think I I was joking with someone the other day. I was like it's a really really funny fact about LA that when you think about classic LA architecture, you think about Spanish revival. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. revival being the key word there um and and so you have these places that don't seem to have history in which this like you know the store the stock of metaphors and like characters that may blackburn sort of built her cult out of is like someone reading the bible without a sunday school Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's not, like, like, that's, if you gave a Bible to a Martian, they might get something like that out of
1: it. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Uh. It definitely is, like, devoid of context, and, like, mm -hmm. context, whatever way you want to interpret it, like, comes from community.
0: Yeah, and I think, right, it is, um, there's that very, very famous, like, uh, Gramsci line that I feel like he was saying about the 20s or or 30s, uh, where it's like the, you know, the past is dying and the future cannot be born. Um, that real sense of, like, okay, we can't really do what we've been doing, but, like, there's no place for us to go, so we're just having to, like, rearrange the pieces of...
1: Yeah. It's interesting. It is interesting. I don't know, uh, yeah, I don't know that there's an overarching lesson to take mm-hmm. it's nice when you can have like a lesson at the end like something we learn
0: where you have like a sunday school and everything makes sense
1: right right how do we make it make sense as our biblical text
0: you know i think uh if you give us four years um
1: you write a really great book about we'll it we'll write a really great <laughs> <about it. laughs> all right that's it that's the episode Thanks so much for listening to another episode of Pick Me Up, I'm Scared. If you would like to join us on Patreon, you can find us there at patreon.com slash Scared. For $3 a month, you can access bonus content there. But if 3 bucks a month is too much for you to spend right now, we totally get it and we're just happy you're here. As always, you can find the sources for this week's episode just by scrolling down a bit in the description.